Hello and welcome to the Hawk's Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon Kane and ooh, we got some back to back show nights coming at you today. I'm, I'm hyped. Let's go. A little bit of a, of a bit of a different curve from our recent talks here. The off season so far has been filled with head coaching talk. Should Carol go or stay? Then who are we going to get to replace Coach Carol? And then how is Coach McDonald going to fill out the rest of his staff appropriately. So we haven't really been concentrating as much on the prospects, diving as deeply into what's going on right now through this pre-draft evaluation process. I've been still paying attention for it for you, so you don't have to, so I can bring you up to speed. You're not going to have to watch all the tape because we can talk you back and forth on all these prospects tonight that uh, have been out there in the recent Senior Bowl. And the Senior Bowl just commenced with its 75th showing in its history, it has continued to rise even more further with prominence with uh, Nagy out there, the former uh, NFL scout who's really guided it to the uh, promised land. And it's uh, now served as a very, very important part of uh, the process for coaches in considering whether or not, um, and had front office people as well, whether or not they're going to draft a guy. If you're looking at just recent history here in Seattle, last uh, season, you've got Ola Timi, Cam Young, and Kenny McIntosh were all on the Senior Bowl roster, all guys that ended up drafted by your Hawks last year. Then you have the year before that, Seahawks really went hog wild with the Senior Bowl members. They got Abraham Lucas, Tariq Woolen, Tyreek Smith, and Boye Mafe, all guys that were in that draft, all guys that went to the Senior Bowl. Um, you can even go back to a year where we had three picks. Uh, remember the year where we had just second, third, and then a seventh or a sixth there with uh, Stone Foresight. And in that draft, you had Trey Brown and Eskridge. Both had gone to the Senior Bowl. Jay Curhan, who was an undrafted free agent for the Hawks, was also another guy that had played there. So there's a track record. Damian Lewis, Daryl Taylor. You want to go back to the old days even. Uh, Bobby Wagner, Richard Sherman, Senior Bowl attendees. So it's very easy to maybe scoff at this at first and go, well, what's the matter of this? It's a, you know, it's an all-star event. And uh, while it is that, it's much more than that, really, at the end of the day, because as much is put into the week of practices and the players and their agents have been told, you know, take this seriously, come out here and understand if you do work, you can raise the value of where you're at. You can raise your standing wholly. And uh, that's where it, they, they can look at it as really like there's only something to be gained here, not as much maybe necessarily to lose. And so you've now started to also get a lot more better prospects also coming to the Senior Bowl, including now as this has been a rarity from where it was in the past, they're actually having juniors coming out there as now. Well, I think in the last, uh, I think just a couple of years, they've started to allow for that. So again, the roster is getting this much more talented, this much more better. And the more we can take a look at these guys and, you know, you have some keen interest to them, the more we have a better understanding once we come to draft day about what might have led Seahawks to draft them, what their fit's going to be potentially on this team, and just how good of a player they appear to be as far as their upside is concerned. When uh, we look at the game itself, the practices, I will say, are something that factors into this as much as anything, but just as uh, far as the game itself, uh, our guy Spencer Rattler out there um, with uh, with the performance he had was uh, very, very nice. I had it up here for a second. I lost it. There we go. Spencer got the MVP trophy. He only threw, I think, four passes, but he was four of four on those passes. Uh, drop back made a really nice uh, nine route throw on a play where it shows off a little bit of the acumen and experience a guy like that gains by playing so many snaps over the course of his career where he drops back to throw and notices that the cornerback in phase is starting to look back to the him and and that in that looking back to him the corner's getting carried a little bit more to the middle of the field 
which opened that up for Rett Rattler to recognize that and take a shot down the football field in that game. And um, he played good. You know, a couple of those check down kind of throws as well within that, but he played good. And he's a very, very interesting prospect in this upcoming draft because no prospect, I would say, in the top three that's going to be taken, top three rounds, will have been under as much duress as he has been throughout the course of this year. Their line had a lot of injuries. He was, he was beat up a lot. Um, he really had to, to make do with not necessarily the best of circumstances in order for him to, to have the year he did and kind of cap off his college career, which has you know, been pretty solid throughout. Everybody's been sort of waiting for him to take that next step and rise a little bit more further in his, in his valument. But he is a guy that will remain very interesting because you could make the argument to a GM, look, he not only got under more pressure than anybody else, it was by a large amount. He's in the toughest conference in football. He's played a ton of college football. He's got a lot of experience. He's going to be pro ready to go. He's got good enough mobility, a, a, a plus arm to what he brings for the position. You know, we get this guy in the second round. We get this guy in the third round. You know, we found our starter. You know, we found our Dak Prescott. And uh, that was originally when I looked at him in Oklahoma a couple of years ago, the comp that came to mind for me. And it remains kind of the one that does sit in my mind a little bit. Uh, maybe a little less mobile than Dak coming out. Maybe a little bit more of a livelier arm. Uh, in what he brings, but I think kind of potentially some similar upside overall in his game. But uh, the game itself was pretty nondescript. It wasn't a high-scoring game. Uh, yet some interceptions thrown. Uh, Joe Milton threw uh, threw late back across his body to the middle of the field. That just kind of fits to a little bit of what you get with Milton on tape, where you know he's uh, he's sometimes um, going to try to trust that arm a little too much, and and the decision making is not always. Uh, completely on point. Uh, we'll go through a couple of the risers and followers here, but I think the interesting thing as much as anything when you look at this is going to be the top players as they were named by their position for the week because the Senior Bowl does an interesting thing where they'll have the defensive linemen all come together for one side because you have the national squad, the American squad. So you'll have the national squad come together and they'll announce their who they think, let's say, is the defensive linemen or the best, who was the best offensive lineman they went up against that week collectively. You know, they'll all vote on it. So you'll get the, the linebackers will vote to the running backs, you know, or the corners will vote to the receivers, the receivers back to the cornerbacks. So you get a little bit of the player's eye on their view of who they thought, you know, was really handling business out there throughout the week. And I do think that that makes it a little bit more interesting. So a couple of names here really quickly, and then we'll get to the risers and fallers in this particular week of Senior Bowl, not just the game. Let's remember it's as much the week and what you're doing there uh, as anything else. But Michael Penix, was, uh, Michael Penix and Spencer Rattler were voted as the top quarterbacks of the respective American and national teams. Uh, no shocker there. Penix didn't play in the game. He did enough work throughout the week, including coming up with the big, huge, long, abnormally sized hands <laughs> that were measured out. Um, Lad McConkey and uh, Malachi Corley, two really exciting receivers for different reasons, were named the two top wide receivers on their side of it. Marshawn Lloyd, the kid out of USC and Michael Wiley were named the two top running backs. Theo Johnson, a Penn State tight end, who's a very intriguing player, uh, had a good week. And Jarrett Riley, Wiley, not Riley, but Wiley, another tight end out there, uh, was the top two tight ends. Christian Haynes is, an, is a guy that continues to rise up on the stock. He's rose up and on my, risen up on my board recently as well. He had a solid week throughout all the course, just looking just completely kind of solid down the line, showing some very good power as well. At a bit of the forefront, he was uh, the top uh, tackle for the American team. Another, another guy that has now secured himself as one of my few blue chip prospect players in this draft. 
That's going to be Tulis Huanga was your uh, top guy for the uh, for the um, American team out there. Sorry, the national team out there. So he uh, he was controlling business, just looking athletic, uh, able to get it done in all elements of the of the game as far as alignment goes, uh, bringing to you a complete package. And I maintain, I think he's going to he's going to test fantastic at the combine. You're really going to see his stock, I think, solidify at that point. And it's already rising, but then it'll be solidified. Uh, Michael Hall, the Ohio State three tech, was the uh, defensive line, top defensive lineman for the national team. Braden Fisk, very interesting kid out of uh, Florida State, was the top guy there for the American team. Your uh, top two linebackers were the Nathaniel Watson and J.D. Bertrand, the Notre Dame kid. So interesting there. Evan Williams and Jonathan Bullard, who had a really nice week, were your top two safeties. And then your uh, top two cornerbacks, the two guys that I think really rose up throughout this prospect um, uh, for their own kind of reasons, Jarvis Brownlee, who had an interception in the uh, in the Senior Bowl game, and then Quinn Mitchell, who was just um, locking everybody up throughout the course of the week and looking and looking like many ways, you know, I, I mean, he's I think he's solidified himself in the first round at this point. How high up he's going to drive himself, we'll see. But Mitchell is a guy with his ball skills and all of that. And then to see what he was doing against quick players, against route runners. And that's what you get to see here is the full skill set against not only pro-level prospects, but prospects that offer different skills that they, they will run at you with. Speed and then, you know, hands. And he was on every one of those guys throughout the week. It was highlight after highlight with him in coverage. And uh, he remained really, really good. Um, but he's a first rounder now, in my opinion. And then the guy that was named the overall practice player of the week. Uh, the guy that was the star of the, the week of um, practice, no doubt about it, was Darius Robinson, a guy that does kind of come out of left field for me with that, where he had a really good year of production this year, a good overall solid player in all ways, but he was dominant. He was dominant on the football field. And his use of hands, his um, different moves that he was able to call upon at times, uh, you know, it just, it's, it's kind of wild. It speaks to me of the kid that was taken by the Jets last year in the first round, whose name I can never seem to remember. But it's he's a different type of player than that kid. But it was the same thing where you watch him on tape and you don't always see him quite using the hands at the level that he had it down, you know, coming into the senior bowl. And he was a nightmare for the offensive linemen. They wanted no no part of him. It was um, he was winning rep after rep after rep. And it was just, you know, like they were commenting the game like as, as the week got on, he got more confident. And he started to even, uh, you know, try to take on even the best of the best out there. He started to be like, let me get out to the head of the stack. And he's a uniquely built guy. Is he an edge? Is he a three? Would you put him in as a three, four end? Would you just, you know, have to put his hand in the dirt as kind of a four, three guy? Could he stand up as a three, four guy? I, d I think he's going to find a position. I think much like Quinnen Mitchell, he might have solidified himself into first round shape with this week of practice. Uh, I didn't have him quite that high coming in, but I, you know, you can't deny the work, the week he did this, what he did this week. And um, he's coming off a, a, a year where it's not like he's didn't bring it on the production front on that side of it as well. Playing a little bit as an odd scheme. Like they got that three down lineman thing that they run too, that just can make it at times impossible on trying to figure out what the hell these, because uh, the, the DNs are so often just mannered with having to do a, a, a you know, hold the point of attack, you know, sit here while the blitzer rolls around your outside shoulder, you know, like you can kind of feel them sometimes not being able to just rev the engine all the way up and let it get, get to cooking. When it gets to the uh, risers and fallers in this particular um, uh, senior bowl, got a, got a nice little list I think I've compiled here of the guys I've kind of collected here. And um, certainly there's going to be more beyond this, but these were the guys that stood out to me as far as what I was hearing from. 
Uh, Michael Penix, don't need to tell you guys a lot about that. This name's going to get very interesting to us really quickly if the Ben Grubbs rumors are true, because there's going to be that connection made. I don't know if it's even right to make that connection at that point, but I, you, you're, we're going to have a lot of people spend a lot of time taking a much, much closer look than at Michael Penix and what he brings to the table. Um, and this senior bowl practices is not going to discount any of that as he was uh, marvelous out there displaying the strongest arm, I think, by far of anybody out there. Uh, putting the ball on the mark. Didn't matter the type of throw you were asking him to make. He was uh, on point with it throughout the week. Felt like he had done enough by the end of the week, not even have to play in the game. And uh, I, I have no doubt in my mind at this point, he is inside the top 20 of the first round. Now it's really a matter of, is he going to get inside the top 12? Is he going to get inside the top 10? And uh, that's, uh, maybe I'll be wrong on this. Maybe he'll have a Will Levis kind of uh, fall from grace once we get to draft day and you end up seeing him in the second round. But it does feel a little bit like to me that he is uh, rising at this point more than he's falling. He was also clocked at the fastest of any of the quarterbacks out there as far as his legs. He, he cooked up over 19 miles an hour on the practice field. So that's even surpassing a guy like Bo Nix, who's supposedly going to be a guy that should be a 4-5-ish kind of guy, I would have thought, based on some of the tape you see. He might be more 4-6 now that you, you kind of see where he's at. But Penix is also going to think about this going to the combine, go out there and then maybe run into that range of things. And that will, I think, at that point put him into that uh, firm camp, firm role. Spencer Rattler, as I already I already kind of mentioned the reasons why I, with him, where he goes from being a guy who might be thought of a little bit more in the third round role to now he pushes himself up in, into the second round range, no doubt. And maybe he's even tickling, just tickling there with that first round. Like just maybe on, maybe some team falls in love with him just enough and they take into account that stat I told you about. You know, that's, it's a big thing. It's one thing if you're under a little bit of duress, one thing if you're under more duress than the average person under, when you're under a lot of duress. That's where it really does then affect you from the position. And if you're able to still, under that siege, perform, then pro scouts will probably take that into a little, a little bit more into the count than the average fan and give you a little bit more of the uh, benefit of the doubt, a little bit more of the bump. And going, well, what, when we, what happens when we give him actual pass protection then? What kind of player can he be then? Um, Jackson Powers Smith, the kid out of uh, Oregon, first rounder now. Um, I, I definitely was slow to warm up on him on the process. Didn't take into account as much how young he is. He is a young, uh, I think just turned 21-year-old kid. But his power, tenacity, uh, um, just he was on it on every rep this week, controlling everybody. Uh, nobody could handle anything with him. He shows off to me the skill set that goes, you can bounce him between guard or center. I think center's the best place for him long-term, and that's where he should sit. But uh, he could do both, um, and he's got some you know, star potential, if you can say it there from the center position, not quite to the point that I'd say he's one of my blue chip prospect type guys. I'm not going to rise him that far, but that he is a, a pretty sure, I think, first rounder at this point, maybe late, but first rounder nonetheless. Uh, how about Jerry Rice's son, Brendan Rice? A lot of, um, a lot of intrigue into this kid, of course, because of his father. And there are some things with him that are evocative of his father uh you know that that sort of effortless kind of gait where they're they're getting up to speed really quick with a great burst and some good speed but the defender doesn't feel like that's what they're doing the defenders almost lulled into thinking that they're slower than they truly are and then suddenly rice is by you he was uh creating separation uh, a lot throughout the week um the hands were overall pretty solid i think um there were there was 
you know, it wasn't perfect on that realm of things, but I think he showed enough in his explosiveness. He showed a really good job of being able to fight through the physicality. Uh, these cornerbacks are coming out of college and they're used to grabbing, ripping, tearing, pulling, yanking, because uh, you can get away with it a little bit more in college. With this, uh, they get in the senior bowl and, and they're going to still try a lot of that, those guys will. And uh, Brendan did show a really nice job of being able to fight through that physicality. Another thing that I think he probably gets a little bit from his dad, who was also really good about that. Just hard to get your hands on Jerry. Um, he doesn't offer to me the upside uh, of Jerry, but what's funny about this is he's probably going to end up being, well, well, we'll see where he's picked. But he's, he looks like he might have pushed himself into second round discussion at this point. That's a little high for me on him, but that's what I'm, I'm hearing where a lot of people have him. I, I think there is still some worry for me with him on, you know, um, high pointing the ball, um, catching the ball with contact, hands being consistent enough to be drafted quite in that range, but that's just where he's being talked about. We talked already about Quinn Mitchell. I mean, he had like two pick sixes in one game alone, I think, this past year. Um, just ball skills for days. Uh, athletic as hell. Twitchy. Uh, long. Um, just gives you the full package of the position, really. And uh, another guy that's got some special special attributes to him. Uh, Jarvis Brownlee, another guy that was not thought of necessarily super highly coming into this uh, senior bowl. Maybe, you know, okay, he's a fifth round-ish range guy. Might have pushed himself, involved himself up to the third round, not just on the back of um, the the interception he had in the senior bowl, but just also, again, in the practice week. I mean, there was one rep he had one run where this drill where they have the receiver in the corners going one-on-one, it's always to the benefit of the receiver in these drills because the receiver's got the whole field to work with. There's no help defenders. And, you know, it can kind of run any route he wants to run in the book. And there was one where he was just, he had this guy bouncing every which way to open up his route, taking all the time in the world to try to open. And he was with him every step of the route, every step of the route, just on top of it, showing some twitchiness, but just showing ability to kind of stay low in that bend and be able to bounce where he needs to stay with and then regain his acceleration out of that bend. Uh, I think he will get himself up in a more kind of a third roundish discussion range at this point um, when it comes to Brownlee. Uh, Christian Haynes did talk about him as well. Just solid, solid, solid. Uh, probably into the second-ish, late, late, I'd say second, maybe even third. Might dip to the third, but might have pushed himself into number round two at this point. A uh, couple of running backs that I think were solid, but you, you know, the, the, there's nothing I think that they've done to really push themselves high, but they're going to be drafted guys. You know, um, Amani Bailey came out the game, the senior bowl, felt like they gave him five straight carries and, uh, he went out there and did some good work with it. Showed off a little bit of uh, a bounce, a little bit of twitchiness, um, a little bit of burst, not maybe any, I don't think he's got necessarily speed to him, but it was solid. Uh, the other guy on the other side from him, <clears throat> uh, the, uh, Cody Schrader was, uh, look a little more, more of a physical back. Um, more of a guy who's got a little bit of that, you know, put his foot in the dirt change direction and he can do so with some power and explosiveness. It may not be a quick twitch thing as much as this just boom, uh, you know, and then he's and you as defender are closing and you're kind of getting gut punched on a counter gut the way that he's moving to where you're you're going towards the leverage of where he's running. It's not like a it's not a super you know I don't know hard it's not a super stop and start kind of thing. It's a very much just a almost felt at times a little labor, but it works. And it, it probably will make him a guy that I think, you know, with his production in college, he's a small school guy. I don't think he'll be drafted high, but this at least probably puts him into the role of being, puts him in now into the tune of definitely being at least probably picked at this point. Uh, we mentioned Darius Robinson certainly rising completely up the boards. I think he came into the senior bowl as looked at as more of kind of a third roundish guy, I would say by most, maybe higher by some, maybe by the, the smarter scout out there. Um, we got uh, Peyton Wilson. 
uh, depending on what you read or hear, he either had a really good week or he had a really bad week. Um, so uh, some, uh, you're, I think there's going to be some divisive opinion on Peyton Williams, not just within the fandoms that are out there, but within the scouts in, in the pro circles. There's some that feel like his lean body style would better help him to turn him into just more of an edge. Uh, there's, uh, uh, then there's the others that get worried a little bit about the arm length. You know, he came in at 30 and one eighth inch arms. That's very, very, very short. Yes. Yes. I'm going to say it. That's T-Rex arms. Okay. That's T-Rex arms for the linebacker position. And, uh, you can scoff at that and you can say, you know, you're prejudicial, Brandon, you know, I wish you weren't so, you know, racist against the short arm people. I, I think that you need to maybe go to some classes. You know, you know, I think you maybe need to get some sensitivity training. You already don't let pick it off the hook about those hands. But let's just keep on and consider this. There are only three, three linebackers who have had the 30-inch arms or with that size of arms or, or less that have been drafted in the first three rounds in just any given in given NFL history that since they've been measuring the arm lengths basically. So it, you're looking at this coming into as a guy that you looked at as maybe Peyton Wilson being a sub first round guy, or I'd say even a second round guy at this point, he does probably bump down more into the third round because teams are not going to get around those. It's, it's not a matter of like, you know, like here's the arms we'd like as far as the normal length. And then like, okay, well here's, here's small arms now. Okay. Here's a, here's a prospect. It's like, okay. You're going to have to wrap that thigh. And then it's, and then there's like, I can get the ankle. That's, that's your, your three pronger on that. Okay. So kind of going to be tough for him on that. Going to be a, a bit of a rough road uphill, but he did have a good week. He performed well. Um, he was on it. He's, he's got some really fun characteristics in his play. He's got some athleticism to him, but uh, that's going to be a bit of a, a holdup on him on that side of things. Unfortunately, how about um, Christian McCaffrey's brother? You know, and what's fun about Christian McCaffrey is uh, he doesn't really have the body style of his father or the, the kind of, you know, running kind of style of his father. You know, his father was not a twitchy guy in the open field. His father wasn't going to shake you. His father had kind of an upright, angular build for a receiver and just very good with being precise with his routes. You know, he'd get us, if it's 10 yards and I got to cut in, he's going to be right at that 10 yard and cut. You know, he was going to run the West Coast routes to, to perfection a lot of ways. It was cool to see that uh, Luke McCaffrey able to make a couple catches in the senior bowl, look pretty good throughout the course of the week. And he is a little bit more built like truly I think his dad is. Uh, is he's the brother of uh, Christian McCaffrey. So he's got a little bit more of that, like his father, angular kind of bit of a build, you know, more of an upright kind of build. It did lead to his dad getting smacked a lot. You know, he'd make the catch and he was like an iron, ironing board was up his back, you know, when he's making the catch. Rather than you get low, you know, so it's just the strike point was just huge on him and he would get just waylaid. Cedric Gray, linebacker from North Carolina kid I've been high on for a while, had a really solid week as well. Now there are a couple of other guys that I thought had good weeks, but it wasn't great, but just good, solid. Roman Wilson looked like he was going to be fast and able to be fast from the slot. It was really tough to cover throughout the week. The guy's just so twitchy. Um, and definitely, I think, uh, raised a little bit of his stock this week. Javion Cohen, a guard. Looked physical and powerful, throwing guys around out there. Jaquan Jackson, wide receiver out there, may have pushed his value up a little bit by having a couple of really, really, really upper end days of uh, camp. Some people thought for at least the first two two days of camp, he was the best wide receiver that was out there. 
Fallers, droppers, I'm not calling you losers, but just the stock's a little bit down at this point. And uh, something to be worried about, Sam Hartman came into this camp as the oldest quarterback at 25 years old. He's been playing in college since 2004, I kid. It's, uh, it's more like 2018, but uh, he's been playing for a while. And um, went back and watched his tape last night in order to start to build my own evaluation off the back of what had happened here a little bit at the Senior Bowl. And uh, maybe that's colored me a little bit on it, but... Um, yeah, Sam's not Sam's not got a lot he brings to the quarterback position, and we saw at the forefront of this accuracy. If you can't throw a ball to a spot, it's hard to play the quarterback position. You know, you can't put the ball in the right place. Tez Walker, very hyped up wide receiver coming out, uh, has all the skill sets in the book. At one point, he was looking like he was going to set the fastest time for any of the receivers out there this week. He looks the part. No doubt about that. He's got the, the good, tall, not super tall, not too tall, but just tall enough kind of build out there. Good long arms. He can jump through the build, through the roof. But uh, unfortunately, much like Sam has an issue with hitting targets in the right spot, oh, Tez Walker has an issue with catching footballs. And for a wide receiver, that's a little bit of an issue. And that persisted throughout the week. I can't help but think that teams are going to be like, look, we love the physical potential here, but you, you are, and it matches to the tape. There are plenty of drops that I got. I saw with Tez on tape in addition to that. And that's going to nudge him down. It just will. Uh, Peyton, um, sorry, Kalen King, Penn State guy. You guys know for a while I've had him as a fifth round rated prospect when a lot of others were still talking about him as a first round graded guy. I never got it. I never understood it. Uh, the tape is, you know, to put it lightly, awful. It's awful. It's not bad. It's, it's, it, it's awful. And he maybe didn't have an awful week, but he certainly had a bad week. Xavier Leggett had himself a bit of a tough road. I think he came into this draft process with some people thinking maybe he could push his way even into the first round discussion. He's listed at 6'3 out there in his college there, South Carolina, but came in actually at 6'1. His arms were also just a bit shorter than, than you would have liked. And uh, you got a lot, of, a lot of drops through this week from him. Uh, he had one particular rep down there where he's running a nine route, can't get the separation on the nine route, pushes off, uh, plain and simple, and then the ball hits him in the hands and he drops it. So uh, it just drops were all over the place, inability to separate, not as big as, as you kind of maybe thought he looked on tape, um, and that's probably going to ding him down. The other guy was uh, Joe Milton that did stand out where I just didn't, didn't seem like there was much from him, and what you did hear from it was just not the greatest of, of, of items. So those were your risers. Those were your fallers in this uh, senior bowl. Fun little... Fun little um, week of practice. Trying to, I was trying to watch it on the side as was doing some of the coaching research on some of these guys we're looking to bring in and who we just brought in like McDonald. But um, nonetheless, it's a great process. It's a process we've leaned upon in the process for the guys we looked at. You look at this roster, there's likely to be at least three guys, if you look at given history, that are going to end up as Seattle Seahawks when this all is all said and done. So these, are, these guys in particular are definitely worthy of getting that full, full meal deal look if you're looking in your own individual scouting process, trying to evaluate who's who and what's what and um, who might be a fit. So a little bit tougher with the new head coach, I know, but uh, fun nonetheless. We've got a couple pieces of news going through right now before we get over to you guys in the chat. Um, no, we do not know anything right now currently with the Ben Grubb update. That remains um, up in the air and um, uncertain. So we'll, um, we're going to have to just kind of wait on that one to see you know if that is finalized or not. We have... Um, the Seahawks currently talking to um, 
the uh, defensive court or the defensive line coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so he is, um, that one is uh, interesting to take a look at as far as a guy that has done some pretty good work. He's been around the league a while. He's a defensive coordinator for when we were with Jacksonville. Wasn't particularly great. Seems like maybe that kind of coach that's more of your, you know, better as a maybe D-line coach, but also the kind of coach who would fit well being able to come here where he doesn't have to call play. And uh, he just cuts to, you know, come in here. He's um, a little bit old, older at 57, so it's not as much of the young, the youth movement. You'd be adding another uh, wise mind into the room, so to speak. But um, there does seem to be a, a bit of a, an uptick in what he was able to help and bring to the Kansas City Chiefs defensive line from, you know, when he wasn't there to when he was there the past two years, you know, in the, the bit of the leaps that they were able to make defensively. Because if you look at the Chiefs over the past couple of years, They've gone from being that team that had defense that just had to be just good enough under Patrick Mahomes and just kind of hold on for dear life to now the team's kind of leaning on that as a bit of their strength at the moment as Patrick Mahomes' skill position players have sometimes let him down. And they don't just have quite as much of a dynamic offense as they did in recent years. And a bit of that, as you look at the forefront, is on his arrival two years ago, that transition was starting to be undertaken. And uh, so definitely has gotten the best year out of Chris Jones last year. The best year of Chris Jones' career came from this guy's uh, whatever tutelage he was providing him or helping him with at that time or whatever he was doing with the lines to get him those opportunities to go out there and really hunt. But he's an interesting candidate. And uh, another one to throw in the mix on this defensive coach, the reminder, it's not, I don't think, as much a big impact on who the defensive coordinator is because you have McDonald who's calling the defensive coach, calling the plays, and then you have Leslie Frazier there as kind of the secondary. So it's kind of like this guy will be a, a third primary, so to speak. Uh, if you will, in this in this pecking order. No updates on Ryan Grubbs. We had heard yesterday that it seemed like things were getting very close between the Hawks and him on, um, on trying to bring him over here. There's a lot of funny national uh, kerfuffle over the whole Mike Kafka uh, and the Giants not letting Mike Kafka come over to us. And and people are kind of giving the Giants you know hell and, and then people are doing the math. And they're like, oh yeah, they're not doing it because if they let him go, it'll look like a sinking ship. And they don't want that to be getting out to the fans. But what's better, that you look like a sinking ship or that you're holding your, co your coaches hostage? <laughs> Sometimes there's just no way out of that crap sandwich and you just got to take a bite. So uh, no updates really when it comes to um, the, uh, uh, the hires, but we will definitely be on top of it this course of this weekend. Uh, if anything does go down on those two fronts, uh, we will definitely do a little bit of a show for you guys quick, quick on that. Um, I'm going to go over to the chat today. And I know already there's probably about 15 uh, Geno Smith messages um, about the uh, Pro Bowl because the Pro Bowl was under, had happened today and uh, Geno had like 21 attempts and two touchdowns and then three interceptions or whatever in a flag football game. So if there is, please kindly any takes that are going to want to try to tell me that you're making an evaluation of the back of Geno Smith in a flag football game playing with guys he doesn't ever play with. They were all probably out doing God knows what last night on a Saturday night. Let's, let's maybe tap our brakes on that one just a bit. If you got your take on him for how he plays on the field and you feel like, fine, good. Great on that. But like, give me a break on the Pro Bowl evaluation of, see, I saw him throw an interception in the Pro Bowl. And now I know that's why I don't want him to be the quarterback. Like, please. Please hold those takes if you guys, if there are those takes out there, those will be ones I'll ask to hold because it's silly. It's just silly. I hope you guys are having a great night though. Please do, if you could for me, hit that like button. I would really appreciate it. It does help out the channel, helps the channel grow tremendously. 
Got herself uh, hopefully an action pack week of some shows for you guys. So we've got a couple line things lined up here special and um, looking forward to it this week. Getting a little bit deeper into this uh, Mike McDonald hiring, a little bit deeper into his scheme and understanding it. And uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Samuel, how you doing? It's good to see you. Lazy dog. Hello, Jesse Lund. What's up? Jackson Powers, man. He's all over the place. All over the place. Josh Sass. Go, Kitty. Kitty's deep in her nap, man. She's deep. Daniel Berry, how you doing? What's up, what's up? Dude disgusted as another dude. Let's go. <laughs> Tom, he says, where's Legion? Bellevue? I think anyone can go. And yep, it's in Bellevue. Josh Sass says, on behalf of the Eagles staff, I wanted to say thank you for your half year of your defensive coaches. It may it may be a little early, Josh, on that front. I'm just going to say that. Maybe early. I, I'm going to be uh, going on a, a back over on the Eagles channel this week um, to talk to him about those hirings. And uh, you got to look at the recent performance of this defense and you go, wait, hold on. We're, we're taking on secondhand parts from a badly performing defense. Uh, why are we doing that? Yeah. And that'll be the million dollar question I would be wondering as an Eagle fan. But at the same point in time, there's a history of them. I know with Hurt, he's got a history with Fangio. And, you know, so it, it, it might work as well. And maybe Hurt's just one of those guys best put as a defensive line coach. But I will say, Josh, even when he was a defensive line coach, I don't know if he did a whole hell of a lot to deserve the D.C. But we'll take your thank you. I'll take it. AI was a dead of a game. Flag football. Oh, this, the senior bowl? Yeah, it was kind of just... Practices are almost more the interesting. The one-on-one -on -one reps through the week are almost the more interesting items. Uh, Benjamin Duvelson, Spencer Rattler in the sixth. Let's do it. He popped off there. Rattler's in the second now, at least, I think, Benjamin. No later than the third, though. Jackson Power is awesome, though. On uh, Anne-Marie Elizabeth says, by the sound of things, the recent junior-senior bowl, as I call it, since uh, from what they are now allowing juniors, are thought to be ready to enter the draft. That's true. Yep. Rounds it out a little bit more, Anne. Just builds out the talent that much more further. Mark Habercorn, how you doing? Great to see you in the chat, man. Riverside, uh, Tavondre said, had a bit of an up-and-down week. There were some good reps in there. There were some reps that weren't as good in there. You know? And there's some that are questioning a little bit of his ability to hold up at the point of attack truly as a, a nose on a consistent basis. Uh, Sanchez, thank you for the $10 donation. I appreciate you for that, man. Very kind of you, brother. Thank you for being a member of the channel. He says, uh, video liked, donated, some snarky comment, no football for seven months, feels bad, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way to do it, man. That's the way. That's your way. I know it's your way. And I've, I understand it. Um, thank you for the $10 donation. Sanchez, you're kind, man. Very kind. And, um, no football for seven months, but boy, we're going to be able to be really excited for this football season and the potential of it. And, uh, we're not locked into a, a glass house, a, a glass ceiling of mediocrity you know we have an ability to punch through that this year maybe and maybe not it'll be all right if not but there's the potential you can punch through it now 
Whereas before we always knew our head was going to bump up against it. We're going to look up and go, ow, and look at it. And not much was going to go on after that point. So um, it does feel bad. It's going to be a long way away until we get me more football. That's for sure. But um, it's an exciting time. Exciting time to be a Seahawks fan. The future's looking bright, optimistic, and uh, for, for completely valid reasons. Ain't, ain't no gaslighting. Ain't no gassing anybody up. Just for completely, completely valid reasons. But thank you, Sanchez. That's really kind of you, man. I appreciate you, brother. I hope everyone's having a great night tonight, this Sunday night, too. Turbo Duran, please recognize. Got you, Turbo. Patrick Mahomes is the GOAT. I don't know if he's the GOAT, but I definitely think that he's the best quarterback in the sport right now. And he's got himself, he's on the path. He's on the road. You know what I mean? He's not a few steps into his journey on that road to that particular destination. AI says Robinson was making people look bad in pass rush drills. He was having his way. Whatever he wanted to do. It was like, it was like a basketball player was like, do you want me to do the, the, the dribble between my legs crossover or do you want me to go over my knee? You know, do you want me to hit you with the Euro step? I can do, I can do a step back, one-legged um, turnaround if you want to do that. Do you want, do you want to, I can do a jab step back to the three-point arc and drill it from here. How about that? Where do you want to get it from? And he just handed it to him. Brian Myers says reports I saw had uh, Quentin Mitchell as uh, out of Toledo as the best player during the week. I think that if it Robinson wasn't going to win it, Mitchell probably is the guy that wins it, Brian. He was a guy that I think comes to another guy just like Robinson where he probably comes into this process being looked at as a high third-round pick, maybe a second-round pick by some NFL evaluators, and he comes into it solidifying himself as a true first-round prospect. Um, I, think he's, I think he has done that at this point. Ann says, one of the chat room chatters is right. Patrick Mahomes has to take a trip to the GYM first before even being considered a GOAT. Yeah, you got to, you got to, Ann talking about that picture of, uh, of uh, Patrick Mahomes where he's got a be- his belly out and doesn't look like he's got a bit, of, a bit of muscle on him. Those quarterbacks, sometimes they got unique builds, Ann. You know what I mean? Joe Montana had bird legs. Some of these guys... Greatness sometimes, you know, it brings to mind that old meme, you know, you may not like it, but this is what peak, this is what a peak athlete looks like. (laughs) Miss the NFL combine should be fun throwing this year. Yeah. There's some guys who can sling it. You know, Banks can go out there and let one rip 70 yards just for the hell of it. AI says, power is who I want. Trade back. I'm with it. He signed me up this week. Uh, v. Zeus, uh, thoughts on Braden Fisk? Yeah, I didn't talk too much about him. Um, though he was one of my guys that was a riser this week, Zeus. So I think I just jumped over him on my list for some stupid reason. But uh, he had a great week. Uh, named one of the best two defensive tackles. And, um, you know, another guy that's just on film is absolutely tenacious. He is just going to get at it you know you just you feel like he, and not in a dirty way but he's just he's gonna he'll bite at you rip at you tear at you he'll talk he'll punch you in the belly he'll you know and not again not in a dirty way like just like metaphorically speaking but he's going to just be like a a badger at you and off the line and he's not 
doing it really necessarily with all he's got some quickness to him for for being a bigger guy you know he gets to the spot quick he's got you know a, a bit of that to him but it's it's also just he he wants to be mean and violent and he's gonna he's gonna come at you you know it's like he's gonna try to be more aggressive essentially than you in and how he wins and he's a fun prospect i don't know quite where to fit him in at to be honest with you i did like the tape i didn't love the tape there's there are reps where he just gets washed out um at the point of attack especially that then there's other times he holds up there too so it's not like constant but you do go ooh, just it's all a little bit more in there but he was fun and he had a lot of wins this week in one-on-ones um and with a guy like that i'll tell you this dude you never have to question his effort on the field you know his motor is always going to be up he's the kind of defensive tackle that they throw the screenplay. It looks like it's about to maybe get housed or go for 30 yards, and suddenly he flashes out of nowhere from the back of the screen and chases it down and brings the guy down. You know, he's that kind of, he's got that kind of fire to him as a player. But I, he may not test particularly well. Tommy Eden says, I wonder if Jerry threw bricks at his kid when he was growing up. <laughs> That's right. Jerry's dad known for uh, throwing the bricks at uh, Jerry in order to strengthen those hands. I don't think as much, Tommy, because that's where his hands are not as strong as his dad's. He can't catch as cleanly and easily out away from his body. He's a, he's a little bit of a tough evaluation for me, though, too, because he, I think, is a best receiver in more of a timing-based offense, like a, a 49er-type offense or, or something where you're really running your route on a precise spot, hitting the spot, the ball's out, you're to your spot. That's what he needs to be in. And that USC offense was more about playing off time and off script. So he's being asked to run those secondary routes off of the first route or recognize when he has to give up on his first route quickly because Caleb's decided to scramble. I don't think that was really his skill set. You know, he did his best with it, but I think he's more better in a time-based bump, 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 you know. Um... Hey Stern says, why is JJ McCarthy getting first round talk? You let me know when you figure that one out, man. I have no idea. I'm, I, I just sit there and I'm like, really? We're giving the, this guy's getting, uh, he, to me, he shouldn't be even being considered in the first three rounds. Uh, Haley says first round quarterback equals five-year contract it's a weak draft at the top end so getting a quarterback later than the first is more value than someone you have a second round grade on true getting that extra fifth year option especially Haley if the intention is going to be to do like you know what the Packers did with Jordan Love where you're going to sit him for the first couple of years the prospect can't come back to you necessarily after year three and go, pay me. You're like, you've only been starting for a year or two years. But Rattler has a chance to go up in the first. Carthy might go up in the first because of that reason. Seems like Bo Nix has pushed himself in the first round at this fully. And so it's just no doubt he's going in that range. But uh, those seem to be the two especially who might gain that kind of steam. Flash says Panics is gone before 16 for sure. Some team's going to fall for the trap. Yeah, I, I think that you're probably right, Flash. I think three quarterbacks get taken to the top five. 
And I think that that you go from five to 12, I think that you're going to see Penix and um, hell, maybe, you know, Knicks in there as well go at that point in those next six elections. Something fishy says it disgusts me how racist you are to my fellow short arm T-Rex people. It's 22, it's 2024 for God's sakes, man. I know, I know it's, I was raised this way, okay? No one ever taught me, man. No one ever taught me how to read. But uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, I have my, 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 I, yes. I, I have to own this one. You know, it is it is highly forsaken to the shorter T Rex folks. Uh, I I'm actually getting petitioned at times now from um, from from fellow short arm kings, and uh, and now I've also started to hear from the small hands men. Like, all right, I'm already getting the T Rex boys, and now I got to come in with the baby hand pickets. Like, you know, let me fight one battle at a time, boys. You know. How about we how about we line up over there in the corner of the room? Bottom line is I don't want none of it. I don't want no baby hands on my team. I don't want no T-Rex arms. Haley, I think uh the feeling on a quarterback being 24 years old is that. There isn't, and it could be a false one, so I'm not saying I believe this is the case on it, but the reasoning, as I understand it, is it's been explained, is that, you know, that you, the, the prospect is done developing at that point. You know, the die is cast. They are what they are. So to think on a guy like that who's verse 21 years old, 22 years old, uh, the, the, maybe there's not some more foreseeable upside to them at this point. Could be a completely old thinking, and maybe it's starting to uh, move into a different place now where they, they don't look at it in the same way. They're going to have to at this point, Haley, because with the NIL, you're going to get more very talented quarterbacks who are going to go through their senior season and enjoy their college experience. I mean, what's better than the college experience? Being a multimillionaire going through the college experience. That's that's not exactly something that's just like, I just want to leave this as fast as I can. I just want to get my pro career started. Can't blame these, can't blame these kids. So uh, they're going to have to start to make some peace with this, Haley, that, that old thinking. And I don't even know if it really adds up to being smart thinking, but that's how I understand it is why they did it. Uh, Byron Murphy is probably the second best defensive tackle, maybe the best defensive tackle in this draft space, depending on who you ask out of Texas. Misfit, KJ Wright did have octopus arms. That's what I need. You know, give, me my, give me that octopus arms. Give me banana hands. I want octopus arms and banana hands, okay? Across the board. Staple it on if you got to. Tony Wright. Good evening, Brandon. What's poppin', man? I just want to say that I do think that San Francisco will win the Super Bowl. But can you imagine the backlash on Kyle Shanahan if they don't win this game? I've even got a, I've got a better nightmare for you. You're right about that nightmare, Tony Wright. So first off, yes. The fan base would lose it. Suddenly it would be like, we've got to get rid of this guy. I mean, it would, I, it would be glorious. Glorious. It would be the best thing I'd ever seen. But, uh, okay, here, I got an even better scenario, Tony. 49ers go up by seven in the first quarter. Mahomes and the boys, uh, they're moving the ball. They get down the first time, get three points. Move the ball again down. Nope, interception by Mahomes. 
Niners capitalize and the offense starts to hum. Touchdown. Touchdown. We're at almost halftime. 21 to 3. Come out of halftime. Add another field goal to the Niners. 24 to 3. And it all starts to fall apart. It all starts to fall apart. That old sinking feeling, that old itch starts getting Shanahan. <gasps> Pressure. Pressure. Touchdown, Chiefs. Touchdown, Chiefs. Oh, no. Suddenly, it's 24-17, and they're only one tutty away, and it's just the start of the fourth quarter, and the avalanche is upon them, and they can't stop it, and they can't do nothing about it, and oh, my God, Brock just threw an interception because he's sensing the fear in his coach, and now he's taking that fear upon himself, and it's a pick six, pick six. And they get the ball again. And now Debo Samuel fumbles it because he's trying too hard, because he's trying to do too much. And oh my God, oh my God, Chris Jones just picked it up and he ran it in for a touchdown. Game over. Another epic collapse from the Shanahan. More like Shanna not. I hope it goes like that, Tony. I mean, I, I mean I'm just spitballing here. You know, there's a variety of ways it could go. A lot of different, a lot of different outcomes here on this one. Uh, dude disgusted who has T-Rex arms. Peyton Wilson has T-Rex arms. In fact, he's no longer Peyton Wilson. He's just Pay Wilson. Oh, what, what current quarterbacks do? What is President doing this year? Field, Russ, we all know Chicago was. Yeah, that's the thing about why I think there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks going before. I, I think you can, that, that's a great way of kind of putting it herbicide as far as the bottom line on the quarterbacks that are available in the open market. I don't think that there's going to be past three quarterbacks taken um, when it comes to, um, when it comes to the open market, meaning that I don't think that there's going to be more than three teams that are going to take from the open market quarterbacks to solve their quarterback problem the three quarterbacks that you mentioned are exactly the ones i would look at you've got justin fields uh and, we, and we're hearing right now caleb williams wants the he's trying to pull an eli move so we'll see how that situation goes but nonetheless it doesn't matter the numbers won't change on that whether it's fields that goes or what field stays still then that team's out there needing the qb you know feasibly so um it, you've got Justin Fields, Russell Wilson, and Kirk Cousins coming off an Achilles injury. So you have three quarterbacks on the open market that are really going to be your only guys that are somebody the teams are going to target to say, okay, we'll have you be our starter next year. So we go beyond that. We've got Washington at number two. They need a quarterback. New England at number three. They need a quarterback. Arizona at number four. We don't think they need a quarterback, but do any of us really know where the new regime really is going to probably stand on Kyler? I mean, maybe they're on board with it. Maybe. Maybe also not, right? We'll see, but I won't count it for now. Chargers have Herbert. They're plenty happy. Giants with Daniel Jones. You guys are going to tell me that they're not itching that trigger if there's maybe a quarterback there that they like at number six. So let's add the Giants in there. Tennessee at number seven. Probably not after Levis and Malik Willis in back-to-back years. So we'll keep them off. Uh, Atlanta, yeah. So we're at a four with Atlanta. Um, we've got Chicago's a no, probably one way or the other. The New York Jets, that's to me, and again, 
yeah, probably you're going to want some insurance for Aaron Rodgers next year, right? And they're done with the Wilson experience. So we're at five. Minnesota loses Kirk Cousins. They're going to need a quarterback. Denver Broncos are going to need a quarterback. Are the Vegas Raiders signed up to the Aiden O'Connell experience? Are we to understand that's where they're going to roll with that? So we're at eight at this point. Now, uh, New Orleans has got cars, so no. Indianapolis, no. Seattle, who knows, but I'm going to say a no. Jacksonville's a no, and then Cincinnati's a no. So even up to Seattle, let's just say from my list there, you've got eight. Eight teams at, at, at a very minimum, and I think it could expand beyond that, but eight basically as we stand right now that are going to need a quarterback. And depending on what the Chicago Bears do, we'll see you know how that plays out. So to me, it's this is where you get, okay, uh, Russ goes to the Raiders, you know, Cousins, holy hell, where would Cousins even go at this point? You know, where's his spot? Will Washington try to do that with Cousins? That feels weird, but no, not where they're picking. They got an opportunity to get their quarterback there, so. Um, yeah, you take these guys off the board, just take them off, that leaves us with five. That leaves us with a stark five removing those guys you mentioned. So we've got five guys, five teams there that are solidly needing quarterbacks picking ahead of us in the first round of this draft. How do we end up with Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, and Michael Penix all gone before we draft? Just like that. That's why I think it's going to go that way. Tony Wright says this would make the this would make two Super Bowl losses to the same team plus Shanahan screwed my Falcons in Super Bowl when we all had to do was run the ball on second and third downs and then kick a field goal to win. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It would it would it would be a little extra tasty if it could go with a little bit. It would be a little bit more of a knife turn that way, but you know. Robbie Red, brutal, brutal, but changes were needed. Excited to see what the new McDonald's scheme. It was brutal. It was a tough, tough decision to be made, but uh, the right one. And oftentimes the right one isn't the easy decision to be made. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's not. As I know, uh, Patrick Queen is a McDonald dude, but that is expected to make like 17 million a year. I say no to that. Valid reasons. I mean, spending that money on a middle linebacker, maybe not the smartest approach. And you can go draft a guy maybe in this draft and get performance that's very close to maybe what you could get from Queen without having to spend that much money. I mean, that's the the big part on the balance game on that one. And uh, when it comes down to that, I'm okay if they want to do that. If they want to, you know, take with both Queen and Brooks and say neither on both. We want to spend that money on either of those two guys. I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, you know, we'll see what direction. I'm going to do a video on that eventually, Herbicide, kind of balancing that whole discussion on how we should look at it. Uh, Midnight Sun, or not look at it, but just the considerations of it. Midnight Sun, let's go Hawks draft. This is going to be fun this year. So excited. Oh, it's going to be nice. We're going to have some fun with this, and I'm going to be uh, here soon today, guys. I'll get you guys the, uh, my, my updated big horizontal board. So I'll show you guys where I'm at on the, hor the horizontal horizontal mamba. Flashes might as well pay Brooks a fraction of that and still have linebacker with potential. That's the one worry with it, Flash. I think that's the part, and why I want to do a video on this, is it gets a little more complicated than that because Brooks is actually going to get paid pretty well. It's, it's probably about on a deal like this. Jordan Brooks, four years. $12 million on average per year. Patrick Queen, four years, probably around $17 million on average per year. So is Queen worth more than $5 million than Brooks? Is both, both of them too expensive at that rate? 
Herbert said, I'd rather have the big cat over queen too. But maybe it's not an either or. Maybe it's a bull. And Anna, I think the Chiefs have got a good chance against that Niner team. Kelly says, hey, B, love Edron Cooper. Boy, he can tackle. And 10 sacks. Also love Cam Kitchens. Hope we can land one of these badasses, especially at linebacker. Love me, Edron Cooper. You know, I've always had a little bit of a preference, just slightly for Ed Junior Colson. It may eventually change. I got to go back and watch both these guys again just to solidify the kind of more of the final look on them and where I stand with them. But especially with Colson's understanding of this defense, it's like, He'd slide in here and know from day one what he needs to do and everywhere he needs to be. But Cooper is got some freakishness to him from the position and some some real great upside. A guy that could eventually end up becoming a first round 26th, 25th in the first round kind of pick. And it wouldn't be maybe necessarily shocking. Um, but he's awesome. He's an awesome player. Kelly's his nice shirt. Thank you, Kelly. I did this one. I made this one myself on this. So this is just, I can't even sell this shirt. I just wanted to make it just so I could have an easily. I got to get some easily love out there, you know? Come on. Uh, Herbicide Brooks is not on his fifth. Brooks is on his fifth year, but of course we didn't uh, activate his fifth year option. Haley, I don't think the game meant anything for Gino today, but um, well, I'm a little behind my donuts. Uh, but we do have to consider not the best look for your new coach to see in your first attempt to show him what you can do. Yeah, I mean, it's for me, Haley, it's, a, it's flag football. <laughs> and the stories that we hear, Haley, about these guys at the Pro Bowl is not one where they're just... And the night before, I was up in my, my hotel room getting myself nine hours of good rest before that fine athletic performance the next day. Instead, it would be more like, fill it up again. Fill it again. No, I want another shot. You know, you, you buy. No, I buy. You get, let's do it again. Come on. Let's, you know, it's more of like the stories you hear from everybody coming out of the Pro Bowls like this. So it's like, okay, he's probably like, yo, you know, he's probably like, oof, we're playing today? Okay. He's never thrown with these guys. You barely have practiced with them. You're playing flag football. I, no one's really, half the field's not taking it seriously, you know, and uh, everybody's just trying not to get injured, basically, essentially. Um, but, you know, that's, I, I, I don't probably, people want to make the assessment on, to me on Gino on games and that that's what they say. They can bring up specific stuff. I'm, I'm cool with that, but not a, not a, not a day like this. This was akin to them out there having a theatrical exercise. Ran the cut. Was it a mistake to decline Brooks's fifth year? You covered well. No, you're going to have to pay him like 12 million or something on a fifth year option. It was going to be expensive. He's a first, like, those fifth-year options are kind of nice to have, but they're also not always cheap. So you weren't going to get him for that much of a cheap year. And he hadn't done anything in performance-wise to earn the fifth-year option. I mean, he, he didn't even have, uh, there's a lot of people that, it, it's crazy me on some of the narratives I hear from folks who will tell me that Jordan Brooks had a better year than Bobby Wagner. Like, what are we, based on what? You know? He was, he was marginally, very slightly better than just a, a tiny titch better in coverage. He was from horrific, he went from horrific to bad in coverage. And he still was at a place where he was going to miss his share of tackles, not get off blocks. It's like people will blink the other narrative where they'll say, where well, he's just great as a run defender. He's great as a run defender because he cobbles together all these tackles. So he's great as a run defender. It's like, no, he's not necessarily. His instincts are not top notch and he can't get off a block for his life. 
which is kind of problematic for a linebacker on inside. You know, that doesn't, especially if you're talking about quantifying him as a, you know, top-notch run defender. Um, I support why they did it. I don't, I don't think you, you got to earn that fifth-year option to a degree. And, uh, you know, he just, he just didn't. I'm not trying to be hard on him, but kind of just didn't. Melissa Colpitz, how you doing, Melissa? Good to see you in the chat. Hope you're having a good night. Haley says, can't cover. Why would we want him back? Exactly. Bobby could do everything Brooks does, but better and cheaper. Exactly. Bobby's going to come in at half the price on a one-year deal to Brooks. You know, <laughs> like that's in I, I my case. DVN says, I don't think anyone in this chat was evaluating the Pro Bowl. Why wait till you see a couple of comments before the stream ends? DVN, <laughs> give, it, give it some time. I'm, I'm trying to get out ahead of this, of this train, this particular one. Erzide says, still think the best uh, path forward with the linebackers is to let Brooks walk, bring Bobby back for cheap and draft a badass. I'm great with that path. I'm great with that path. I love bringing Bobby back. I think it makes a lot of sense. Bang for your buck with Bobby, not to mention all the other stuff he brings from locker room leadership to, um, you know, just having a veteran presence in there at all times, has seen it all, done it all. A couple of my donos here. Sorry, a little behind on that. William Leonard, thank you for the $5 donation. Great to see you in the chat tonight, my brother, and I hope you're having a good one. New England Patriots represent six states and used to be the Boston Pats. How about that, Northwest Seahawks? <laughs> I triggered you last show a little bit there, William. <laughs> anyway, should be an interesting draft. Go Hawks. Yeah, I guess you guys do. Those, 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 those are kind of baby states, you know? I mean, out here in the Pacific Northwest, we have like states, you know what I mean? You guys kind of have like states. We got states, you know? Yeah, yeah, capture kind of the ruggedness and the size of it, you know? Alaska, Montana, Maine, Massachusetts. Just little kind of little itty bitty little slices of land. You know, a couple little little square mileage here, a little square mileage. We've got, you know, Alaska. <laughs> I like this though. I like this fan base flexing on the other who's got the larger square square uh footage. <laughs> I'm I'm here for this fight, William. <laughs> Let's go. Uh thank you, man. Appreciate the fiver. It's gonna be a fun draft. It's a draft with a lot of good offensive linemen, a lot of good defensive linemen, a lot of good middle linebackers. And what I'm saying there is the things we need, it's got. The store is stocked well with those supplies that we are in dire, dire need thereof. So um, good good draft is it shaping up so far for us. The Garth Knight, thank you for the five. And uh, William, thanks for bearing with me on acknowledging there. Sorry, I was a little slow to acknowledge. But uh, thank you, Garth, for the $5 donation. Rank your prejudice from least to most on left-handed quarterbacks, T-Rex arms, and baby hands. <gasps> oh. Okay. Okay, I'm going to go with, first off, T-Rex arms, the worst thing. You, you might as well have been thrown off the cliff by the Spartans as a baby. Okay? Judge me. 
I don't care. I'll take your judgments. Throw them at my feet. You will not move me off this spot. Uh, seconds, baby hands. T-Rex arms, guy, you know, T-Rex arms, you, you, you can't extend out. I got a ball I throw out away from you and I need you to extend out and go pull that ball in, you know? The ball's going to be, here's, here's the ball, right? So. Here's the ball. I can't get to it, you know? Whereas the guy with the long arms is just like, got it. Got it. So uh, I can work, I can work least with the T-Rex arms. Because baby hands can have long arms with baby hands and he still get to that ball. He just better get all five digits on that thing. You know, all 10. 10 fingers down. He ain't one hand and nothing. Which is why I still don't like baby hand guys. But they're not as bad as T-Rex arms, dudes. Now, lefties, this is more of a self-hate kind of thing here. Okay, I'm a lefty. Um, I think we look weird throwing the ball even when we're really athletic and fluid. Um, but they're the least because they can still be, I think, functionally great. Steve Young showed all of us lefties that there's hope. You can go win an NFL championship as a left-handed quarterback. There's hope. Isn't Stabler lefty too? So I, I, I you know, we're not, we're not the village, you know, we're we're not the village whatever outcasts, you know, at that point. You go, we got we could we can do what you guys can do, righties. But that's my three stack. I got no use for T Rex arms. You can't you can't reach your hands to block the guy. You can't reach out to make the catch. Poor little arm can't even pull back all the way to get your throwing motion out. It's like a sad little throwing motion. That's the throwing motion. Thank you, though, Garth. Appreciate the donation. Uh, Comic Binge. Thank you for subscribing to the channel, Comic Binge. Appreciate you for doing that. And uh, folks, please do join Comic. If you're not already subscribed, I would really appreciate that. Garth Knight in the house. Or Randall in the house. Here we go, Randall. Let's go. Coming up with a $20 donation. Randall, very, very kind of you, brother. Good to see you in the house as well tonight. I got my peeps in here. That's the way it's got to be. Thank you so much for the uh, $20 donation, man. You are awesome. Awesome. Says, uh, I found this scout on Twitter who's high on Rattler. Also, very low on Caleb Williams. The guy apparently was really bullish on Purdy coming out. He pointed to Rattler's pressure rate and drops. Rattler still high comp percentage than, still completed a high completion percentage than Caleb. Yeah, it's where the people that are the uh, Calebites, Randall, who will tell you that you can't judge this final season of Caleb Williams because he was under so much pressure that, you know, what was he going to do? You know, what was he going to do with that? And because so much of, and it's tough to watch a lot of tape. I mean, when I was going back and watching Brendan Rice and as part of what made the Brendan Rice evaluation so damn hard is just everything with Caleb is just back foot. And then I'm flying around doing something wild. You know, it's, it's kind of, it is, he's a sturdier version and he's a better, better arm talent and he's got a stronger arm and better overall decision-making. But it's like, it's like Johnny Manziel a little bit or, and you just, the, the, the inability at times to play on time. It's a real fear with Caleb coming out. He is ultra talented, but 
are you going to be able to to saddle that horse up? You know, yeah, on, in the open field, it's jumping and it's kicking its legs out and it's making a big, you know, a big swirl of dust and looking powerful and all. But like, can you put the actual saddle on that thing and ride it? I don't know. And with Rattler, I think it's smart of that scout to point that out. Uh, Randall, it's, it's been mentioned by others too. So it's not, I'm not onto something here. It's just a variety of folks have brought it up because it's, it's so stark in difference to guys like Michael Penix. I mean, I, you know, the amount of the, the pressure rate for Michael Penix versus Caleb Williams is ridiculous in difference. If you look at the two. And uh, this has been, of course, something Randall that has come up in the Geno Smith discussion over and over again that I've tried to point to, which is just uh, a high pressure rate impacts the quarter pro- quarterback position um, to a very large level. It's not a small impact. It's not a minor impact. It's not just sort of a, you know, yeah, it's there, but what, there's other stuff. So it's not really that. No, it's of major, major impact to how the quarterback plays the position. And if, you, if you're under a lot of duress and you are still able to be a functional quarterback and still able to go out there and perform, and maybe you're not out there flourishing or setting the world on fire, but you're getting the job done still, despite that. That should be a big feather in the cap of that quarterback, whether as a prospect or as a pro, because most quarterbacks wilt under that kind of situation. Many of the other quarterbacks who don't wilt will just go to their scrambling nature and try to make it happen with improvisation, a la Caleb Williams. But uh, I can see and understand completely, Randall, the scout that looks at Caleb Williams and says, you know, I, I don't know what I should do with this as far as giving him this high grade. Yes, he is physically talented, but in playing the quarterback position and playing it you know, smartly and on time and processing in the pocket. And, you know, sometimes you're not seeing that as much. It's just all backyard football and how it feels and some of the ways that those games would, would erode to. But at the same point in time, you can't throw that all on Caleb because you do come back down to and you go, the line wasn't good. You know, the um, skill positions were okay with guys like Brendan Rice. They had a couple guys there and certainly Marshawn Lloyd's a draft prospect, the running back position, though they didn't really commit to running the ball enough to get the most out of Marshawn. But uh, yeah, I can see where somebody would come to on that one. And Rattler's a guy that I think that there's going to be, as I always say with this, Randall, it just takes one or two NFL teams to take that pressure rate versus drops into account and giving it a a high measure of, uh, we value this heavily because he did the work he did in producing and producing well in his final season in college being Rattler. While he was under pressure, while his offensive line was broken and battered and beaten and not performing well. And he still performed well. And he did it in the best conference in all of football. That's, that's where, to me, I could see a, a scout pounding the table and selling somebody else on that, that element alone to getting their GM on board with making him a second rounder or maybe even a first rounder. It completely, uh, completely adds up to me. And I think at this point, Randall, it's just Caleb's gotten himself cemented in on who he is. I think he's going to, be locked into that first round pick and we'll see if Shane Waldron can, you know, go over there and do his best Robert Redford impression, you know, just easy, easy girl, easy girl, (laughs) easy, easy. (laughs) Randall, man, I think the, thank you brother for the $20 donation. It's great to see you in the house tonight and, uh, hope you're having a good one. I thank you for all your support to the channel too. Um, long time, long time support of this channel. Appreciate you, brother. Kronos is Milton, the rookie lock. Laser for an arm, but missing his head at times. 
wouldn't mind snagging him late or Rattler in the third. Yeah, I think that um, Locke probably moves better than he does. Um, Locke's motion's a little more free and easy. Not that Milton's got a bad throwing motion or anything like that, but it's just a little bit. Locke's got this uh, lightning quick delivery. Um, I'd be okay with him as a late round flyer with it. I'd be okay with Rattler. You get the Rattler dipping to the third at this point, sign me up. He's done enough to certainly solidify himself there, and I wouldn't feel bad about it. If the trade team, our team moved up in the second and locked in on Rattler, right? I, I wouldn't necessarily love it, but I'd understand it. I wouldn't shoot it down. Yeah, Flash, I don't know with Milton either. I've got, I've got currently Milton set to, especially after the senior bowl performance. Um, he, I've got him at a fifth round grade because, you know, the, the tools are the tools. But um, as you say with this, it's definitely, this was a part of the process that you had thought he would be doing a little bit more with, and he didn't. BK voiceover, the one comp I saw of Penix that had stuck with me is Tyrod Taylor thoughts. Boy, I don't think that that's kind enough on, on uh, Michael Penix myself. No, I, I, I don't think so. To me, Tyrod Taylor is like a real poor man's Michael Vick. You know, undersized, got some twitchiness to his, to his movements, some explosiveness to him, um, and an arm that's, He's got a good deep arm, but he doesn't have a lot of accuracy on all of the throws that he's going to make across the board in the football field. He's not going to throw with a tremendous amount of anticipation. He's not going to process in the pocket like Michael Penix has processed in the pocket. There's I just a, I'd say there's a litany of other skills that I would apply to, to, to Penix. Um, I've landed on here's my comp on Michael Penix as I put my comps together now. And uh, I feel better about these through the years because these, these end up being more right at the end of the day than they've been wrong. Um, Michael Penix is Drew Brees. That's Michael Penix. Um, the differences, of course, being he's he's taller than Drew Brees. Uh, they're 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 very similarly mobile within the pocket. They both throw with great anticipation. While uh, um, he's got a little more certainly, Penix has got more arm strength than Drew did. I think Drew throws better um, when he's on the move. You know, so there's some differences between the two, but. Um, I think that there's a lot of similarities between those two players. That's more of my Michael Penix comp. How you doing, John Don? Misfit, I do remember Aaron Brooks on the Saints. Back when the Packers were trading quarterbacks every every year. Albert Nickus says, I love how pretty much everyone is on board that we should trade back and draft O-line. Me too, Albert Nickus. I love to hear. I've seen a lot of that, and I, it brings a smile to my face. Uh, fellow fandom seeing the value in building to the offensive line, the need for it, and uh, picking up that extra pick and what you can do with that. It just makes a lot of sense. I do you remember the Tony Banks guy too, Misfit? I know more as the Ravens, Tony Banks. Uh, 
Oxo, I just had a dream that Pete Carroll joined the Niners next season. <laughs> Ultimate troll job. Phillips is Taylor Swift's going to accept the handoff from Patrick and rush games first touchdown. We're going to get a special exemption for Taylor. AI, you think uh, Lockett's going to be cut? We'll see. We'll see. Ann says, go Chiefs, go. Best of luck, Ann. Certainly don't want them, don't want the freaking Niners to win it. Sorry, Niner fans, but no. God. Epic rants is Casey. Thank you, Casey. I go off online from time to time. Mikkel Cam, I'm one of those who was picked up Braden Fisk time and time again on my mock drafts. The kid's going to be a special. He kind of reminds me of a young Grant Winstrom. I hope Mike gives him a look. Well, no doubt being out there at the Senior Bowl, the team's going to have a very uh, a very strong eye on him. And uh, I think he's a guy that's going to jump to a lot of teams. Uh, hard to kind of pick where he's going to land at as it stands um, eventually. I do have him in the third round right now as, as his landing spot at this point. But I like his upside. And um, yeah, he's got the Grand Woodstrom where Grant would play hard like that 150 miles an hour every snap. You know, you're, he was just going to give you the fight of his life. You felt like every snap. And uh, it's not even just a high motor. It's like high motor and high, like it, it's, it's a high motor player with a guy that's fighting for his life. It's like combo that. That's what you get with a Braden Fist coming off the line of scrimmage. I like him a lot too, though. He's fun. Okay, so his thoughts on Tavondre Sweat not weighing in the Senior Bowl. Man looked like he was pushing 380, and he still looks very athletic. Man just seems like an absolute unicorn. At his size, it's hard to find those guys, and um, the weight thing is something that you, I think you bring up that's a very maybe a key part of this right now as we go forward, being that you know he's going to need to shade off 20, 20 off the rip. You know, he can get everything done that he needs to as a monster at 340. He may be at 380, like you say. He didn't weigh in. That's telling. Like, give me every last minute until I get to the combine to get this weight down. So, you know, you can't be rocking 380, 380 as a pro. I mean, there are guys that have done it. I, I'm sure that Wince Wolport, through most of his career, was probably pushing well over 350 and maybe even close into that range. But um, he is very athletic and kind of unique for the just, there's no one like that, built like that. There's a few nose tackles in this draft, pure nose tackles, much less guys that are able to move like him at that point. That's why I have him as my number two is he's got some ups and downs to him. He doesn't give you pure flash tape or not. He's my number three defensive tackle. Sorry. But um, he doesn't give you pure flash on tape where it's just like, whoa, you know, everything's just him being dominant, but it's just that you see what's there that you're working with. And you're like, yeah, I can add that to my defense and make that work within my defense to help. Highs and lows. What about uh, Tulane quarterback Pratt? He had an okay week. I think he had uh, maybe a solid, not, Upper level where he's being talked about, but it was, he was fine. Um, he's got a really strong arm. I mean, I think that that stood out when you watch the Senior Bowl game where a couple of these guys come in there like a Hartman and he's throwing. And then you see a Pratt come in with the pop that he's got on his arm and you go, whoa, okay, there's a bit of a difference between those two guys. 
So Pratt's uh, definitely got a very live arm for, for a, a smaller school guy there out of Tulane. Um, he's got some pretty good accuracy down the field. Got a little bit of swagger that he plays the position with. I've got him currently slotted as a fourth-round quarterback, highs and lows. So I even put him ahead right now at this point of a guy like Joe Milton. Um, I do put him behind like a Jordan Travis in the pecking order. But I like, I like that with this kid, you get some kind of legitimate upside for a small school quarterback if you were to take him in the fourth round. You know, It's a guy that a lot of people at first would be like, Pratt, what? But there's actually something there with him um, that you, you can kind of work with. He's got some NFL skill set. He's got some spots of NFL skill set to him. I think he's got an NFL arm. So fun guy. Fun guy on tape to watch. Boy, he's got a little bit of that swag. He's got comes off the play action and he'll dip the ball up on his hip, trying to hide it like a magician. Uh, a magician, and he'll put a little extra kick on his throws sometimes. You know, like a little extra, little extra sauce. Kelly, I like Jeremiah Trotter too. He's nice, good player. And yeah, Haley Roquan Smith was the green dot guy for the Ravens D. Vader's Rage, I don't pay much I, I don't pay attention to college much, so I don't know players, but I'm uh, I know I'm hoping we get some interior alignment and safety, possibly linebacker. All very strong positions this draft, Vader. All some really good players out there to take a look at. So uh I think you're gonna be very, very, very enthused, enthused by what you see. It's well stocked to those positions. I know what I'm saying. Those positions of want. Or beside any safety stick out. Javon Bullard, a guy that I've yet to really get as much my deep dive tape on. I had a really good week and he would be the one guy. Uh, Evan Williams out of Oregon had himself a really good week as well. Um, I, I think I've looked at Evan, but I haven't done my full eval on him either. So both two guys I've got to take a closer look at. Uh, Kitchens had a solid week. Not great, just solid, I would say. Um, and then you've got some other safeties who didn't go like Tyler Newbin, Kalen Balak, Malachi Moore who weren't out, out there at this place. But um, yeah, there's, there's some safeties look good in the draft overall. Bullard seemed to be the guy that was the one I was hearing most about. Uh, Mitzfit says, Bobby's, uh, the Bobby love is insane. He isn't Bobby of seven years ago. He's Bobby at 34 years old and uh, liability and coverage. Um, I, I I can only go to Misfit, you know, if I'm fighting up against the eye test on your end to some of the statistical end that I can reach to on this and, and some of the schematic end that I can reach to on this, it's it's definitely not, there's not much of a place as far as we can drive the disagreement towards because we're probably looking at it from different points of evaluation at that point. Um, but if you want to take the PFF score, Bobby's got beat, Jordan beat by leaps and bounds. If we look at by a game by game basis and, and who gave up more yards in coverage, uh, Jordan Brooks has got beat, Bobby beat by leaps and bounds. Um, does Bobby come in the package of being a guy that is Bobby Wagner at 28 years old in the middle of his prime? No, he's not. Is he as fast? No, he's not. But the point of bringing Bobby in last year, Misfit, was to try to put him into positions into the same defense he was playing with the Rams that would be in the same kind of role that you had him there with the Rams, the, where you weren't trying to put him in coverage 25, 30 yards down the field. Put him up around the line of scrimmage. Let him hunt down there where he's at his best. Instead, because the Seahawks are stupid in their old approach, they will force players into bad situations that don't fit well to their skills. And that's what you did with Bobby. And that's what you did with Bobby a lot. And even despite that, he still ended up having a very solid season. He'll end up being a Pro Bowl or still end up have putting up a, a, a fine year. 
Was there times that he was attacked in coverage? Yeah. Were those times he attacked in coverage always merely because he's not as fast as he once was? No. A lot of it was the simplified nature of this scheme. And that's the reason that Coach Carroll's not in a job anymore. Reason we're not running this defense anymore. So the, the, the thing with Bobby, if, if we go to on it and you say, well, he's not good, he's this, he's that. Well, based on what measurement are we looking at? That, that, he's, that he's some pale limitation of himself. You know, I ain't saying he's great, but I am saying that he's still a solid enough player. And the, the point of this is to always consider with this misfit, we don't just think about this in the, the vacuum of where Bobby is the player. This is also about what do we have to do with the position? Well, right now we need to find three guys for our middle linebacker position as it stands right now. Devin Bush, Jordan Brooks, Bobby Wagner, all free agents. We have a limited amount of money. I have a Bobby Wagner who's coming off a solid year at the middle linebacker position with some limitations, moving into a different defense, a better defense that can take advantage of his skill set to play up around the line of scrimmage, to be that guy, to be more of a factor up there rather than playing 20 yards off coverage. But he's going to cost about $6 million on a one-year deal. Jordan Brooks is going to cost you $12 million per year. Queen will cost you $17 million per year. So maybe there's a thinking here that you go, let's draft a young guy. Let's maybe draft another young guy in the fourth, fifth round. Let's bring Bobby back in. And then we round the linebacking unit in that way. So it's never always about a decision of just, we have all the money in the book world to go spend, to go get any guy we want to go get. It's also about budget limitations, where the player is currently at in, in fullness, what you're doing for the, what you have to do as well to address the rest of the position. It's all that brought into play when you're making these kind of considerations of whether to bring a guy back or not. But Bobby did not have a bad year last year. And it's, it's a narrative I hear from some of my fellow 12s that I have yet to hear exactly outside of their just kind of gut of, well, from my eye test, he just looks like he can't, he moves in mud. And I've seen him give up some completions, so I know he sucks now. Well, if we, I, can, I can bring up all the analytical data in the world. I can show you here, here, here's the amount of he was targeted. Here's the amount of receptions he gave up. Here's the amount of yards he gave up. I can show all of that to you that doesn't necessarily tell that to- story. But, and I can bring up the, the scheme limitations, but I don't know if for the folks that are on that, Side, they want to hear much about that angle of it. It's just, well, no, he's slow. He sucks. That's it. Because the previous year in the Rams, they kept him around the box. They didn't drop him into coverage. And he had startlingly less yards given up in coverage. And so did Bobby just get, you know, bad in that realm over one year? No. It's, he went back to the old defense. And the old defense was, we'll have our linebackers spot drop 25 yards in space and try to cover a receiver running a crosser route who runs 4-3-7 on Bobby. Like, no middle linebackers covering there well. Just about every middle linebacker there is getting cooked. Uh, Tommy says, uh, who do you think a first-time defensive coach wants running his defense more? A linebacker bad with coverage skills who struggled to get his team lined up or a Hall of Fame linebacker with legendary instincts? Exactly, Tommy. Ding, ding, ding. Melissa, I'm good. Waiting for the Little League World Series. Hell yeah, let's go. Little League World Series is right now? In February? Man, yeah, they have that early. Haley says, Bobby in coverage was still better than Brooks in coverage. How can we say Brooks wasn't used correctly, but say Bobby wasn't good in coverage? Um, uh, how can we say Brooks wasn't used correctly, but say Bobby wasn't good in coverage? Yeah, I, I think both guys are set up. I think Brooks from day one was set up to be in a poor spot in this defense as far as the zone coverage goes in general with him. He's, But he's always been struggling. He's got just struggling instincts in zone. It's not just that you fit him with a receiver and he can't pick up the receiver in space. It's just that going back to Texas Tech, you you drop him in zone and he has no awareness of what's going on behind him and very little awareness of what's going on in front of him. And um, that's just why Brooks gives up the yards he does in coverage. It's just, it's as plain as that with it. Bobby's got instincts in coverage, may not have the speed anymore or quicks, but 
he can instinctually know where he's going to need to likely be on a spot in space and coverage, which is uh, makes him more valuable in that to, than it does with Jordan Brooks. But yeah, in both both players' cases, the way that we utilize them, especially the the predictability about our coverages and the predictability of our coverages setting those linebackers up to be attacked by receivers is two of the things that definitely didn't help them um, on top of whether or not they had limitations on top of that to their game in general. Misfit Bolton and uh, Willie Gay are a very good combination. I think Willie Gay's a free agent this offseason. Quincy Williams and uh, Mosley. They're good players. James Stradley, just like we have real mountains out here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, Lord. Haley Julian Love Green Dot next season. Queens linebacker plus uh, Michigan linebacker. Possible. Possible. Certainly would love knowing this defense and having maybe the most familiar familiarity with this defense of anybody on the roster. Casey says, cut uh, Alaska in half and make Texas the third largest state. <laughs> Midnight's on Alaska wins in all categories. That's what I'm saying. You can stuff all four of those uh, New England states into just Alaska alone, and we still got Oregon, Washington, Montana, Idaho, some of uh, Hawaii left over, and part of Canada despair. Melissa says, does anybody have any good tips for catching a severely injured cat that won't hurt it any further? Uh, but, 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 boy, you got to just kind of slow earn trust thing usually with the cats. Otherwise, you got to do the the grab, the the, you know, the, the trust grab. You just get the oven mitts on and grab that sucker up and just hopefully you can get them into the cage before they they get you. But um, otherwise, you got to do the slow trust thing. <laughs> Those cats can be dodgy when they don't want to Edifano Afolso, I like him. He's a good player too. We have gloves, but the cat bit through them. Yikes. Well, maybe uh, how about towels? Take take two big thick towels. Just but you got to have a kitty cage ready. Or else you're you're setting yourself up. Uh, Randall McDaniel, thank you for another five dollar donation. I appreciate you for that, man. Says uh, the guy points to Caleb Mental, two and nine versus ranked teams. Said he wilted under any stress in career. Can't play in the framework of an offense, but you know, who knows? I um don't think that it's I don't think that it's unfair. You know, it's. It comes down to that, uh, what I call the, you know, not a paradox, but it's it's the, the troubling part about making evaluations is that if you don't take care of your, your fundamentals on a football team, it, it becomes hard then on the other things that work off those fundamentals to evaluate them as to whether they're good or bad or uh, they're dealing with just issues around them. When it comes to Caleb, you don't know for sure. 
Um, and I can see where I've got some of those same potential instincts with him. And it's part of why I, after this year, you know, kind of come in this year, I thought, yeah, I think he is kind of in that generational kind of quality, but then you have the full year, another year to look at him and you go, but maybe I need to ding this down just a little bit from where I really do truly see him because this, these are, the, this is getting problematic a little bit in what I'm watching on tape with him and the can't play in the framework of the offense. I mean, that's what you see with the tape. I mean, it's nobody can counter it. People make can make excuses for him, which may be valid or invalid, but you can't counter that that is what you see. And um, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to move the teams off the spot of taking him still number one overall. But I don't think that it's unfair criticism, Randall. And that's going to be the place that, you know, people are going to look to to say, you need to, you need to show this and you need to prove it. And you didn't prove it at the college level necessarily. So. If he does fail, it's going to be pretend there's there's potentially just a much bigger bust factor to Caleb than maybe any other of these number one overall quarterbacks we've seen in recent history. I mean, Kyler at least is giving you functional play. Baker Mayfield's giving you functional play. These guys being on the downside of that number one overall pick, Caleb might have a real uh, there being a real reality here with him that he's got maybe where he's completely busted out potentially too. He's got the boom factor. There's the bust factor there too, Randall, right? And uh, from a mental standpoint, whether it be processing in pocket or as he said, standing up to kind of the pressure, two and nine versus ranked teams, I think there's some validity behind those criticisms. It just doesn't seem like Randall is going to push those teams off the spot of taking them. And you know he's going to go to the combine and run like, you know, four, four, five or something. And that'll be enough. And he'll throw the ball a million yards and everybody will be like, wow. And that'll be enough at that point, you know. One meme, Kyle Wilson throw, rolling to his left, throwing 50 yards down the field will be just enough. It'll be over with at that point. Uh, appreciate you, Randall. Thank you for the donation. Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. Does remember Kevin Willis, the NBA player? He had some T-Rex arms. Guy was 7'2", but played 6'7 with those arms. Any other examples? This is another guy that... Ah, usually, you know, those tall guys tend to tend to have really long, long arms. Um, Lofa had small arms, but he made it work. I think he was sub sub thirty inches. He might be one of those thirty guys that one of those guys taken in the first three rounds that had sub sub thirty inch arms. Actually, now that I think about it, but Lofa would have been one of those guys. Trying to think of a recent maybe wide receiver that's been taken with short arms that's made it work. Hmm. Kind of can't on that, uh, Garth. I'm trying to think of ones that are more successes because Kevin Willis, Willis had a great career, but would be more successes with the the, the short arm length. And I can't think of too many at the NFL level. There's probably somebody that I'm missing. I'll think about it. Let me think if there's somebody else that crossed my mind on it, but I can't think of most of those guys that get that evaluation about the arm length thing. They, it does come back to kind of eventually kind of bite them a little bit. Yeah, nobody's, nobody's drawn to mind for me. I think like Tyree Kill probably has some tiny arms. 
They don't even have his measurements. I bet you Tyreek had some short arms, though. He's probably one that got, got around it. Antonio Brown, I think, had short arms. He got around it, Garth. Not been many of them, though. Not in recent years. Um, Garth with another $5 donation. Thank you, Garth. Appreciate the $5 donation and all the donations, man. Says, uh, ask Chad Brown his thoughts on turf versus grass along with the best and worst field he played on. Let me add that to my list. I will, uh, I will ask him all those questions, Garth. So uh, thank you for the donation. And uh, folks, if you can, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to get in. Uh, he's been busy. I'm trying to lock him in here. But I'm going to get uh, Chad Brown hopefully onto the channel here soon. Returning back to the channel. I had a great time talking to him before. And he's got, um, I think, some perspectives that would be very interesting here on some of the ongoing business of our Hawks this off season. So I'm going to have him come back into the house. Any questions you'd like to ask of a former once really good NFL player? What are we doing here, Kitty? Um, let me know. And uh, I, will, uh, I will ask those questions of him. But uh, I've got those uh, down. I'll ask him and see what, he, uh, what he's got to say on that. Great questions, Garth. I think I might have asked him on the turf versus grass on the last time he was on. Maybe not. I had brought something up about that. Or he had mentioned something about that. Uh, John M429, thank you for the $10 donation, Brandon. That's, uh, John, that's really, really nice of you, man. Appreciate you. Says Brando, who are your top three run blocking O linemen in this draft? When McDonald said build around the quarterback, I thought he meant it quite literally with build a better O line. Makes sense. Make, it makes sense, John, that he'd say that, especially with how you have things built up as it stands right now. You know, that's the need as O line as it stands. Uh, the most powerful offensive lineman in this draft. Great question. Um. I'm thinking too, by the way, so I'm just giving it all the, the proper thought. I would probably say your most powerful would be Jackson Powers Johnson. Probably like J.C. Latham. And then maybe like a Zach Zinter or a Christian Haynes, John, something like that. I think you'd give you'd give kind of like honorable mention to Cooper Bebe, Amarius Mims, and um, Javian Javian Cohen. Might give the, might give those guys a little tip of the nod as far as honorable mention goes, but those would be my other the other three would be my probably lead lead dogs there. Fashanu Fashanu and Joe Alt and uh, Talise Fuanga, 
have a good enough amount of power. That's a plus part of their game. But they're also, it's also a little bit about the, their movement and their athleticism. Which, you know, this is a good point of conversation for this on this, John, because when I'm doing preparation right now for, for Grub and what we're going to need to be requiring from offensive linemen, it is going to be a bit more about the power at that point. Not that power, but it's going to be a little bit more about the athleticism and the moving in space. Even more so than it's been here recently, which a lot of times, John, you got to make the decision between power or the movement. And with, if it comes to grubs coming in here, you're going to lean towards the movement than the power. I will say that. Now, good news is that be it Jackson or Latham or you know, those guys I mentioned are all pretty going to, would work pretty well as movers too. So pretty, some of these guys might have a bit of that, more of that to them, but um, it's a good question. I, those would be my picks. I think those would be my picks. Zach Frazier gets some honorable mention too. Former All-State wrestler out there. I only got him in the third round, but he's a, he'll go out there and twist you up a little bit like a pretzel. He's not, he's not beneath pretzel in you. But that'll be the interesting part, John. How do you balance it on the uh, athleticism versus the power you're wanting, you know, versus that ability to do that? One good thing about uh, Grubb is that he is a guy that knows how to be an offensive line background. He knows how to train those guys up and doesn't seem like he tends to let his quarterbacks get hit. You know, he does a good job at keeping them clean. Um, so comes down to John, I think at the end of the day, whether it's power, whether it's movement, to me, I think it's just about investment. You, you've got to seek out a willingness to invest into that line and that group and make it that strength. And that, that, as we look across the league, I don't think it's too, I don't think it's too hard to see that those teams that have the good to great offensive lines have built those lines through the draft. have spent the high picks to make it happen. They might have a few diamonds in the rough. They might have a few guys that are fourth round guys or fifth round guys that are making it work at the positions, but more often than not, you can see first rounders and second rounders peppered throughout those really, really good offensive lines. And it's just about making that, as I read it, as I read it with John, it's just about making that onus upon building the great offensive line, putting those parts into it, giving it the, the resources. Melissa Colpitz, maybe try that Meowana. You said you tried catnip and get some of that super strong stuff and put it in like a, put it inside the cage and then set the cage outside. And then, I don't know. I don't know. Cats are hard. Hard to catch. I have to catch mine every once in a while. And it's, it's, they, they turn feral at, on me at that point. Drunk says the fact that Penix didn't play makes me think he's still hurt. Eh, I mean, even Bo Nix barely played the little bit of that he played, you know? So it, it, they were more, it's more, look, you've solidified your value. You don't need to go out there and play. Guys do this on a yearly basis at the Senior Bowl. If they have a great week of practice, I, I think like Nathaniel Tank Dell was this way, I think last year, where he's like, I did, I did my part through the week. I got it done. I'm done. I'm not playing the game. You know, why risk the injury? Especially in the guy drunk, in the case of a guy like Penix case, you know, could you imagine how much of a nightmare it'd be if he dropped back to pass and retore his ACL in a senior bowl game after he's gotten through all that he's gotten through? You know, what would that do to his career at that point? 
where would that place him? You know, what's the risk versus reward? Maybe for, if I was advising him, I'd say the risk ain't worth it on that. I, you know, practice throughout the week, show him what you got and rest on your laurels at that point. Rest on what you've done. Seahawk Dubs, Rattler looked really good today. Potential four or five round pick. Oh, he's in the he's in the top three, if not higher than that at this point, Seahawks dub. Outside chance, I'd say there's like a 20% chance of him being a first round pick. There's a 60% chance of him being a, a second round pick or maybe a 50% and like a 30% of a third round. Something like that. Tough with those cats, Melissa. They get in fights all the time when they're out and about too. They get, get wild out there. They love to fight. Garth Knight says, Hawks Nest, where were you finding the Senior Bowl coverage? Um, a lot of it is just covering it online with from Twitter to guys I follow on Twitter, like, you know, got Dame Brugler on there. Obviously, the Senior Bowl account, Nagy. Um, there's a variety of people down there on the scene covering the event. And so you go off a lot of their coverage and notes you're hearing. And then they give you cut-ups. Like people on Twitter, there's tons of cut-ups you can find in the one-on-ones. And, um, you know, and obviously they had, the, they, they had the practices they were broadcasting, Garth, throughout the weeks as well. So all three of the practices were broadcast, um, which I watched uh, as I was doing work, of course. I'm not going to just sit there and stare at practice. I'm going to listen to what they're saying and watch a little bit. But uh, then the game itself. So it was all on the... They, it was cool. They broadcast all three points. They used to just do the game. Now they got the practices. It was great. Drunk says, Commanders might end up getting to Williams. Wouldn't shock me if they trade up. If I'm Chicago, I got to consider it. Can I get a King's Ransom? Can I get the greatest haul ever in trade? Can I get them to give me three first rounds and three second round picks? Something like that. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but it's possible. Haley says, Sweat sounds like the perfect fit for Mike McDonald's defense. Demands a double team. If he has the stamina for consistent play, it could be special. He's definitely a guy at the very least, Haley, you're going to have to buy into the rotational basis thing at first. So, and that's not the worst thing. Defensive lines are built on rotational basis. So, you know, this was the thing we got into last year on, on Jalen Carter coming out. You know, he only played 30% of the snaps. That is, this is the way that the that NFL defenses are going to. It's less about you playing 75, 80% of the snaps a game and more about keeping you under a certain snap count so you can be maximally effective. And so uh, when it comes to, to Vondre Sweat, um, that's something you have to commit to, but the snaps he'll give you will be real top notch. And I could see him as a nice fit for this Mike McDonald defense as well, which does need a nose. It does require a nose tackle. Michael Pierce, Travis Jones, we want our nose in there. You look at Wink Martindale with Lawrence over there at the Giants. He's got his nose. Got to, uh, you know, got to have your nose. Go back to the, you know, Lodi Nada days out there in the Ravens. They've always had a good nose. Nose tackle. Vitally important. Do you guys think that Mike Benell is the first choice? Think of it this way. What if we can compete offense-wise so we get to... I don't know if they had a first choice. I think they had a pretty open process to discuss it on what they wanted to 
um, do here where it wasn't really coming into it with any favorites or any guys that were front runners. They were going to let the process play out and let the brightest candidate that rose to the top of the top of the crop um, present himself. And I think that's where it ended up kind of breaking down. I think certainly they had an affinity for Mike Donald from the onset, but I don't know if they had a true blue, you know, number one. Casey Press says, this stream is dope, boss. Thank you, Casey Press. I appreciate you for watching, man. And that's very kind of you to say. Very kind of you to say. I love what I do. Haley says, like a few plays versus us, I don't even know what they could do to ensure correct blocking assignments. Leaves the right tackle and left tackle somewhat guessing. McDonald's defense? Yes, it does. Yes, it does indeed. I mean, that's at the forefront is that you just don't know what you're getting post-snap. And that makes it hard as hell on offenses. The offenses like to know. They like to be for, you know, warm and cuzzy. They like to pull that blanket over the top up to their neck. They like to get nice and tucked in prior to the snap. You know, clear, easy reads. Haley says Queen and Bobby would be legit, though, if only for the experience Bobby could offer Queen. 100%. I think it would be at least a workable, it would be a workable uh, conceptually initially, and you can still look long-term to find a replacement for Bobby, and maybe you drop that guy who gets him, needs himself a year, and he comes out there and he's ready to roll. Uh, there's been guys like Leo Chanel with the Kansas City Chiefs recently who I think was taken in the second round, third round, I think, who had that very same kind of process that he's had to undertake to get to the starting role. So simply not starting immediately isn't the worst thing. You can draft for it and have Bobby there to be kind of a little bit of a certainty there until the young guy's ready. But uh, I think that'd be a good, good fit. Haley says, I Caleb paints his nails. I like him. <laughs> He's colorful. <laughs> Melissa, you're not getting some good advice here on how to get the cat. <laughs> I'm seeing some bad, I'm seeing some bad suggestions here. I did forget about Iceberg uh, Slim. I did forget about uh, Lab McConkie had a great week as well. He was getting open at will. I think he has solidified himself as a second-round pick. Spain, do I think, uh, Space says, do I think Spoon will win the Defensive Rookie of the Year? I do, because I don't think there's anybody that's clearly been able to overtake him. Nix's Jackson Powers at 16 looks more and more like the move. As much as I want to trade down, I'd almost rather get the best interior offensive line prospect of the draft. I'm uh, I'm okay if they take that approach with it, Nick. I'm only I'm asking for investment in the offensive line. It'd be great if they could trade back and still make that happen. But if to make that happen, you just have to sit there at 16 and take the guy, the best guy that's there on the board and values running your board and you got it at the top where it's like, look, Jackson is by far and away the best, as you say, interior offensive lineman we have in this draft. Make that call and I'm okay with it. Makes sense. It adds up. It's not, not the worst of processes to go with. You still have the two third round picks at that point. But uh, yeah, I'm fine with it. Fawaga's awesome, Misfit. Love me some Fawaga. Tommy says Brown had less than 31 half inch arms. There we go. There's another one. I knew there was another one out there. 
Uh, Mark Mitchell, Steve Smith out of the sun in the draft. Does he? I was a little late to realize it on Brendan, so I guess it's possible. I hadn't heard that he did, though. Misfits, imagine Kelsey like center anchoring our offensive line, but should we give Olu a shot? I think that if you drafted this kid, Jackson Powers, put him in there. I, I think that the thing with Jackson to remember, Misfit, is that he's going to be able to play guard too. Olu can't play guard, guard, Olu can play center. So the nice part about getting Powers is like, okay, he's, you feel great about what Olu's bringing. So now we can just bump Jackson into left guard for a little bit of time. I mean, look what the Eagles have done. Eagles drafted Landon Dickerson as maybe the best center prospect out of Alabama a couple of years ago in the second round. They've moved him to left guard. Then they took, uh, what was it, Jurgens or whatever out of Wisconsin, a really good center from, I think, last year or the year before draft. And then they've put him out to right guard. So maybe not the worst way to go at that point if they want to take that direction of it. And I certainly think Jackson Power Smith is powerful enough to play left guard if you got to ask him to. I certainly think he's an upgrade over what you've had out there at Damian Lewis. But I don't think we can get stuck on Olu as absolutely positively the option. He's solidified. He's the number one guy going forward. We feel good about him. We're hopeful for him. But being that there are a lot of question marks on this offensive line, he still does remain a question mark in this process where it, where it all fits to and where it all is going to go to when it's all said and done. I'm hopeful, but I want us to find a little more certainty on that offensive line. Mark says, imagine if the Seahawks drafted Brendan Rice, his dad would lose his mind. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry played here. He knows what's up. Yeah, I think he'd be okay with it. Uh, Philip Gasson is a root, brute run blocker. He is. Yeah. He's a really good player. I've got him as Philip, one of my true blue. And I guess right now is as good a time to guys show you guys. I've been teasing this. I'll tease it here as I'm reading some of the, some more things. I'll let you guys see it here. Here is uh, the current. Big board, horizontal board for me when it comes to, first and foremost, this will be the uh, offensive side of the ball. Let's get this set up right. So you can kind of see here. Open this up a little bit more so you can see it clearly here, but you guys where we're at on my list. this is ever ongoing, ever changing, by the way. So any of the names you guys see on this is going to be good chance. Still, some of these things can be kind of moved around, but you got a little bit of a sneak peek here as I'm answering questions. Uh, Frank Gore, junior at 16. Still, still junior at 16. Uh, Misfit. Thank you for the $2 donation. It says, let's find, let's move forward with youth at linebacker. Need two for 30, uh, need two for 34D. I'm okay going that roll with it, man. And uh, look in here, as you can see, I'll flip over. This is the offensive course, horizontal board for me. Uh, and when it's in, when you see it in uh, boldened, like you are in the offensive guys, those are blue chip prospects uh, by my consideration. So first round grades, but maybe not blue chip prospect is what you might see otherwise uh, on there. But here we got on the defensive side of the ball. As you can see, there's a really a plethora of guys from the second to the third round there that are going to fit in, I think, as far as potential middle linebackers. And I like a lot of these guys. So 
you want to double down that way, Misfit, I got no problem with it. Um, if it doesn't fit into the draft, my only thing with it is I might, when I look at the draft and your needs and probably the potential that you're going to want to build the offensive line, I just find myself going, well, you're probably going to need to only be able to invest one of your draft picks into the middle linebacker position. And you're going to have to go get the other one probably filled out from some other path because you're going to assign Leonard Williams. You're going to have to go and make some other signings to fill in some other positions uh, of need, desperate need, you know, like tight end, for instance, potentially. Um, but I'm okay taking that road. I, I, I got no problem. If they want to go this, they determine they can get the other stuff done in free agency or through the back end of the draft or another place of the draft. And these linebackers are really, really fun, talented. Ed, you want to go with an Edrin Cooper and an Edifon Ulafoso? Let's do it, you know? Peyton Wilson and Tommy Eichenberg. Let's go. I'm, I'm okay with it. And that'd be exciting. Matthew, thank you for subscribing to the channel, Matthew. Welcome aboard the Hawks Nest, and I appreciate you for doing that. Very much. Haley says, the thing about trading out of Caleb Williams is, if he is a generational talent, you're forever screwed in history. At least if you take him, you uh, you took the shot. That is true, Haley. And, you know, this Chicago is in, is in a hell of a pickle right now, right? Because this is where unfortunately your history can work against you as an, as a franchise because Chicago is known as being the can't get it right team of the NFL. When it comes to the quarterback position, their best quarterback in their history, right? Haley in, in, in this era that we've been living in for 25 years of offensive explosion, the best quarterback in their history that they go back to, they have to like go back to 1947. They're like, yeah, that guy in 47 though. I mean, he could sling it. So they're in a they're in a bit of a precarious position with that because you've gotten so many decisions wrong. You have the Mitchell Trubisky trade you made up for a couple of years ago, and you were badly badly outflanked in that one. So you're right. Do they end up just getting drawn to making the pick because of the worry and the the and the 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 side effects of having it go the other way if they get this choice and this decision wrong? I think you're completely right. That could be a driver. I will say this though, as I always say about these kind of things, Haley. You never make your best decisions when you're in a fear-based attitude of a mindset. And if the Bears are making the selection of Caleb Williams, not because they've made their peace with, with some of the worries of him playing off script or ability to translate as a pro and you know, play under that pressure pack situation, that type of stuff, but it's because they're afraid of the, the downfall if the decision works against them. That's how you're led to making bad decisions to me. That's how you're led to making the poor choice at that point. But you're right. It's the, uh, it's the kind of the unfair acme weight that hangs over the Chicago organization right now in this process is that whole history that they have with the quarterback position. It's not fair. It's, it's really not fair. Um, I see a kitty. Nick Guzman says with Washington getting cliff, Chicago can do some Madden type activities. Imagine they trade down from one to two, then trade down from two to whoever wants May. They could get a crazy amount of picks. I like it, man. Nick, yeah, they absolutely could. They're in a pretty good position at that point if that's the route they want to go with it. Maybe that's why you can make Chicago satiated here is that they don't have to move back super far uh, if they do make that pick while still getting a good amount of selections. Mark Mitchell says, don't overthink it, dude. Jerry Rice has way too much ego to let Brandon Rice be less than a success of what he was. 
I, I'm sure he's going to drive that kid to make sure. And look, he's he's got a good skill set. I think he's going to be a good good pro player. Taker610, thank you for the $5 donation. I came across uh, a hilarious video on, y, on YouTube. Aaron Rodgers 2023 highlight video. It was 17 seconds long. <laughs> uh, Brennan says we might get our, our DC from KC. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, 23 highlight videos, 17 seconds long. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> one throw to the flat, one throw underneath. Um, yeah, there's a, we're looking at the defensive line coach for the Kansas City Chiefs taker. Um, he's got a very rich history as a defensive line coach. He's 57 years old. He's, he's been in the league for quite a bit of time. Once a defensive coordinator for the Jaguars in like 18, didn't do a whole lot with them in 2018. So, uh, you know, it didn't give you a lot of success with that squad at that time. Not that they maybe had as much talent to do so, but you know, like, uh, maybe they were all right at that point. I want to say that that was the year after their 2017 playoff runner show. I want to see her right around there, but, um, He's done good work with KC recently, Taker. You know, he got the best season out of Chris Jones last year. The the team, as far as the amount of points they've given up, has gone down under his watch over the past couple of years, though, of course, he's not the DC there. So uh, it would be a pretty solid hire, I think, Taker. I will say I think it's become less and less and less important about who the defensive coordinator is when, when we learned that Mike McDonald was going to call the defensive plays. And then he brought Leslie Frazier in on top of it. I think it sort of brings down the DC to almost the third the third rung in that pecking order a little bit, um, which is much different than other situations and how they have it set up. Haley says, Oxness, it's really awesome to watch because uh, we're so used to offenses setting the pace and defenses reacting. Mike McDonald's defenses flips it. It's a cool system to watch. It's going to be so much fun, Maley. It is like you say. It's a, a defense that takes it to you. It dictates the terms to you. Where we've watched, we've rocked a defense for years now that that is just going to do what it's going to do. But that's not in the in the way of we're dictating terms to you. It's more of we're going to let you get away with what this if you want to get away with that. Uh, this defense has a completely different mindset. It's coming downhill at you all day long. It's making you feel uncomfortable prior to the snap. It's trying to confuse the hell out of you across the board. Um, it is night and day a difference than the scheme that we've been playing in prior. And I've been I've been trying to prep fans to say you're going to love watching this defense on NFL Sundays. You know you're going to not know what's coming from what direction, and you're going to see coaches actually putting players in positions to have, as Mike McDonald said in his press conference, small advantages on the football field, little things to help them out that you need to provide as a coach. And uh, I, it's it's going to be great. It's going to be great, Haley. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And um, it's just one of the reasons it's a modernized defense is it does, it takes those kind of tenants into, into account in the way that it wants to operate. Nick says, if Junior Colson somehow makes it to us in the third round, there's no way we don't pick him. Oh yeah, no way we'd let him pass the third round if he gets that far. But the confusion, that's the big thing too, Haley, the confusion. You can create the confusion that we've not created prior to the snap beyond any of the stack fronts or pressure based or, you know, any of the moving parts post snap confusion in just general, general fashion you create, it will be just a wholly different than prior. Uh, Randall McDaniel, thank you for another $2 donation. I appreciate you Randall for that. He says, uh, bet you senior bowl NFL net better rating than the pro bowl. Oh, I bet so too. Yeah. 
the draft process has become so much more of a part people spend and pay more attention to than ever before now. So yeah, I agree. I, I bet it was pretty good ratings on the uh, on the Senior Bowl versus the Pro Bowl. I mean, no way, pretty much almost everybody's checked out of the Pro Bowl. I bet the skills competition probably got better ratings than the, the Pro Bowl. Bill Castle, Jake Plummer, his son is in the draft. I, he is. And I've got to look at his. I haven't had a chance to check out his tape, but I do plan to. Dude disgusted. Is this the Niners' last chance for a run at the chip, or do they have one more year before they got to pay everyone? Technically, they would have another year making a run beyond this. Um, they were, they're going to be able to roll about forty-five million dollars of cap space into next year's into next year's cap, so they're they're going to be okay in a cap scenario. They may lose Brandon Ayuk. Uh, that may be the part where it's the little bit of the hit they take, but everybody else comes back at that point. They are a year older with certain guys like McCaffrey. How many more years is he going to be able to play at this kind of level? But uh, they would still have another year after this season. Nick says, I feel the one wide receiver I feel like fan fit the long term with DK and JSN is Roman Wilson, a super speedy guy to spread the field. Doesn't need the ball as much as DK and JSN to be effective. Uh, I like Roman Wilson a lot, Nick. Um, part of that's got to be on that evaluation of that we do feel like JSN is going to be able to play on the outside. And um, that's the part where I'm not as certain that JSN is going to be a guy that I think you can, you can work him on the outside to a degree, but I don't know if he can be out there 24-7 making it happen on the outside. I think you've got to, he's, he's mainly going to be a slot guy, I think, at the pro level long term. And, and with Roman, I don't know if he's got the size on the outside to work. So he's really an inside kind of guy to me too. Uh, but I do like Roman Wilson's game. Very complete, competent receiver and can do a lot of fun things in there. And um, I think he's going to be a very effective player at the pro level. I do. But we do have a lot of, right now, Nick, kind of mainly slot guys that can do a little bit of outside. And Bobo, JSN, Lockett's a little bit like that. We may need more kind of pure outside guys. But I don't have a strong feeling on that one. Jay says, good night, Brando. My body isn't happy when I don't go to bed early when waking up at 4.30. Glad to be watching the streams more now that the Seahawks have hope. Happy to be part of the first 100 subs. Well, thank you, one of my long-term, long-ago original subs, OGs, Jace in the house. And uh, have yourself a great night. And, uh, and that's how it goes with me too, man. If I don't get a full night's rest, I am done by the next day. Especially as I've gotten older. It's like, oh, Lord have mercy. I can't even, I was young, I could go on three hours of sleep and pop up, ding. Be perfect the next day. Not no more. Garth, thank you for the $5 donation. Brando, in your scouting, what percentage do you give to combine pro day numbers versus film? Ask 94 his thoughts on XFL style kickoffs. I will ask him on some kickoff to my list here. What do you think style kickoffs? Um, in regards to... Um, in regards to the percentage, I think that the my answer to you on that Garth would say it depends on the player. So there are players that I can turn on on tape. Let's say there's a wide receiver I turn on tape and I go, I can see that he's fast. I don't need to see his 40 time. I don't need to see him as 10 yard split to know that he's got the burst and the speed to get it done. Like Brandon Wrights, for instance, he's got the, he's got the speed, the burst to go get it done out there. No doubt about it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm fine with that there. I don't need confirmation by his combine of those attributes. But then you could take somebody else that you do worry about with this Garth that you look at and you go, let's take Xavier Leggett. 
Xavier Leggett looked at by some as maybe a sub first round guy coming into the senior bowl, a guy that was listed at 6'3", who's got, who does look 6'3 on the college football field, but then measures in at 6'1". And he's having a hard time str- struggling to separate. And I look at his college film and it's a lot of trust throws and, and completed uh, and contested catches, um, which don't as much translate to the NFL level from the college level. You've got to find some separation on your, in your ability to get it done. So now I come back to Xavier Leggett, Leggett and I go, okay, are you going to be a 4'6'5 guy at the combine? You're going to be a 4'6'40 guy at the combine? So now you're no longer 6'3 and you're a 4'6 guy? Now, now there starts to be a bit of a ding on you and, and what I see with you because now I'm, I'm mar- you're marrying the tape to the numbers. You're not separating the two, Garth. You're marrying the two. And that's, that's where the percentage can't really come into place on that, where it's, it's that it has to be on the individual player. Is it, a, is it a guy that looks you know super slow off the line of scrimmage, let's say, that's a lineman? And on tape, I think I'm seeing him come off the line of scrimmage and he is labored. Then you go and you find that, oh, his 10-yard split was 1.8. And you go, okay, so I can't take that offensive lineman and put him in a mobile-based scheme. I can't ask him to pull back across the formation and be 15 yards out here to the other side of the field and try to hit a block on a safety. He's got to be in a phone booth. That's the only place I can kind of keep that guy. And I'm, I'm speaking to these things, Garth, on real simplistic levels, right? To kind of, for the sake of the, um, for the sake of kind of, putting it on the right, you know, on the right mold of it. it. It goes a little bit more to more complicated ways too in the way you evaluate these guys. But that's where those come together for me more than they're separate. And um, some guys I don't need to know as much on the, the numbers because you just, you can see it. And you, you, if it's there on the tape and it's clear on the tape and they're showing it to you over and over, other guys, you might see flashes of it. You go, boy, I see flashes of it. Am I seeing flashes of it? Because he might have short arms and he can't get to these contested catch balls if he's a wide receiver. You know, uh, he's, he's losing the war at the contact point at the line of scrimmage. Is it because his arms are too short in there? He can't get his arms to the guy before that guy's getting his long arms to him. You know, it all is just player dependent in what we're talking about on a given attribute of what they do on the field. I, I'd love to give you more specific to it, of course, answer, but that's in general terms, I think that's kind of the heart of your question a bit. And I will ask uh, Chad Brown on his thoughts on XFL style kickoffs. Uh, Gar, thank you for the donation. <laughs> All the donos guard. Uh, Misfits is nice. Brandon has Fuaga at the top for the right tackle. I do. Yes, sir. Go back to that here. I bounce, bounce back and forth. But yes, Fuaga for me right now is my, I, I've put him ahead of JC Latham. I think that, you know, Latham and, and Mim seem to be happy enough to do rest on their own laurels of what they've done this season and feel like that was enough to get the job done. But uh, I think Fawaga's tape was outstanding. He is so quick out of his stance, so snappy for a big guy out there. And then he brings the strength, the power, and the violence. Uh, you know, that kind of that little bit of that nasty will to his game that he brings. And it got to the point with me watching his tape. And then the senior bowl just kind of solidified where it's like, this guy's a blue chip. I've got to put him in that blue chip list. He's there. It's odd this year I don't have any defensive guys, but I just couldn't do it. I had at one point or another Zerzon was a blue chip guy. I can't give him the blue chip nod. Um, none of the edges have anything close to some of the more elite edges that have come out in recent years. I think that we would have put the blue chip grade on. I've got Colson much higher than most people, no doubt about that. And uh, same thing for corner and safety. So it's, uh, it's a weird draft in that respect. Nick Guzman, uh, Cooper Bebe, and Jackson Powers are switched to me. I view uh, Powers as a top 20 pick. Bebe is a second rounder. Everything else on the offense matches up to how I view the class. Love it, B. Well, thank you, man. 
I appreciate it. And I may, uh, I may eventually, Bebe is one of the guys that I've not gone back to and done my double check on. Like it's, it always is, you watch them initially and there's always a going back. You know, I, I tend to not just stay once on these guys, but try to keep coming back to them throughout the process to keep getting the different sets of eyes and especially Nick to get the different sets of eyes against balancing it up against the other prospects you're looking at a little bit to get the, the good idea with it. But uh, maybe it might drop more down to the second rounder for me. I've just always really loved his tape from, from the onset of watching the kid. Um, but uh, glad we match up on so much other, uh, other stuff. Nick says, I like Senate and Theo Johnson for the team. We need two tight ends unless we sign somebody. Yep. Amen. I think those will be two potential targets. Senate, a really good run blocking guy. Don't like as much of what he does as a pass catcher. I think a lot of people are going to try to, to bring like Sam Laporta comps to Senate, uh, which I don't think are going to be really super fair. And uh, Theo Johnson, big target, soft hands. Theo's got kind of some, he's not quite, I think, as athletic and fast necessarily, but kind of some, some Jeremy Stevens vibes off Theo Johnson. Haley, the best quarterback the Bears had, Jay Cutler. <laughs> no, no. Uh, who is the Bears quarterback? I, it's legit. Um, he's technically, it would be, but I, it was Sid Luckman. I think Luckman, Haley, won him like four championships or something. Or it was something like he had passed for the most yards for five straight years. Or, you know, he was like legit great. But Luckman was like 50s, 60s. Where do they got Luckman at? Yeah, they got Luckman as the best. Cutler's number two, Haley. <laughs> I wasn't kidding when I said back to the 50s on their best quarterback. It's legit. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers highlight video. <laughs> oh, jeez. Chase, the whole generational label needs to be taken off Williams. Yeah. You got to pull it off at this point. Got to change with the data. Change with the extra information as they say dude just uh, the dude disgusted says i saw a comment on a video the other day that said jim harbaugh looks like he eats grilled cheese and tomato soup three times a day <laughs> well as i understand it with his diet it's not that far off anyway it's steak and milk i think is what i've heard with harbaugh that's his and he legit does not let his players eat chicken because it's a nervous bird. And uh, he, he thinks people eat chicken have mental issues. <laughs> Nick says, if Bowers is there at 16, uh, that would bring up uh, quite the scenario. On one hand, I'm sure teams would give a lot to trade up for him, but also fits a need for this team. I have to, I have to pick him, Nick. I mean, if I come down to it, on a, if we talk about draft philosophy, and I think you got to have draft philosophy because it'll, it'll keep you It'll keep you in the right place come draft day when the bullets are flying and nerves are happening and uncertainties at every turn. So, you know, if you've got coming into a draft that there's blue chip prospects, which I think we all understand at this point that, not all, but most people understand at this point that there's a limited amount of blue chip prospects. There are 32 first round players that will be taken, but there are not 32 blue chip prospects. There's about a third of that. <laughs> so if you've got the opportunity to land yourself one of those 10 unicorn blue chip prospects in the draft. And it also fits a position of dire need. That is what I say is the ultimate Shangri-La of an NFL draft where value meets need. 
Most of the time, you got to make the choice to one or the other. Ah, the best guy that the value is on our board here. We already got two tackles, right? Oh, man, this running back is sensational, but we already got two running backs. But when you got it, when Mary's, well, we lost, we lost two tight ends this offseason. Disley's going into the final year of his contract. I, I think at that point, you just got to, you know, thank the Lord above for the gift you've been given and don't overthink it. Run that thing up to the podium. And there is a chance Bowers could drop. I don't think that he falls to 16. But I do think he falls out of the, out of the top 10 potentially here. And that could make things very, very interesting. I don't know if Harbaugh, I don't know if Bowers is generational, but he's a blue chip prospect and he's, he's by far the best tight end prospect that come, has come out in six or seven years. I don't know if that makes him into that generational stage, but he's definitely in, so, so, solidly in that state, in my opinion. Haley Bosa is a free agent this year? No. No, uh-uh. he signed a contract at the start of the year, Haley. He's getting paid 30, 35 million a year. Philip Castle, if Bowers is available at 16, McDonald should carry him to the stage. <laughs> I'm glad you're with me, man. <laughs> so I'm saying, like, I ain't overthinking that one. There's certain draft decisions that might be hard. That would not be one for me. ADL wants to see DK at strong safety. And Kelly, yeah, Edron James gets off of blocks. He's slippery. Does a good job with it. Really good job with that. Wheeler says Chow, Smith Wade. That's all I'm going to say. He had a good senior bowl too. Good senior bowl week. Get out of Washington State. He's solid, Wheeler. I think he's more middle rounds, fourth-ish round off first look, but he'll tackle. He'll get up there. He'll stick his beak up in there. Kelly says, I haven't looked at Tyler Newbin yet. Heard he's great, but Kitchens is cool and he's not 22 until after the season starts. Love them both. I do. I have a second round grade on Kitchens, Kelly. Uh, Tyler Newbin is my only safety that's got a first round grade. Just, he brings everything you could want to the position. He can play free safety, strong safety. He can play some slot. He can come around the box and be a presence. You know, if you're looking for your Hamilton type that you could add to this defense, you know, you're looking for the equivalent of that in that, that that's what you would have with the Tyler Newbin. Iceberg Flim, you think Trotter's going to run a 4-5? Iceberg, I bet that he comes to the combine, and I bet he weighs like 224 at the combine. And then, yeah, he's able to maybe get like a 220, 225. Then he gets down to like 4-5-ish. But then teams are like, well, if we put 15 pounds of weight on him, then it has become 4-6. Herbicide's guy's got a bit more cat talk than normal tonight. Misfit, we need Trotter arm length. No way it's over 32, I'll tell you that. No way. I don't know if it's tiny, but... 
Herbicide, I thought Trotter was only 220. I stand corrected. Well, nee, herbicide, give it some time. Let's wait to the combine, herbicide. Keep that 220 in your mind for a second. Let's, let's get back on this in March when we go to the combine and let's see. Let, let's really take a look and see where he weighs in at. I'm guessing it's going to be 225 or less when he gets to the combine. And that's a part of it that you got to, with, with Trotter, is I like him. Good player. Undersized. Small and probably a little bit lighter than you'd like for the position. I don't know, Misfit. Uh, I haven't looked at Quincy Williams too, too deeply yet. Kelly says, Dr. Chris Carson today. My boy's doing well. Dr. McIntosh, I just hope we utilize the run game if we get grub. Uh, well, we definitely, I think, will. He's an offensive line coach. He does like to throw. He does come from a bit of that air raid kind of approach. But former offensive line coach, he understands he does need to run the ball, which is nice. So I think you will. Hopefully, McIntosh will come back and find a bit of a role. This fit value-based drafting powers are special. That's what I'm saying. I see it the same way. Haley, thoughts on Fant? Would you take anyone not named Bowers over Fant from the draft if you include costs? Yeah, I think if you're including costs, I would take Tavian Sanders, Cade Stover, Ben Sinnott, AJ Barner, Theo Johnson. I mean, hell, if I'm getting Brevin Span Ford in the fifth round, I would take that. Because those are guys on cheap contracts that aren't going to give you the maybe the, exactly the level of athlete you get out of Fant, but I I think Fant gave you kind of a down year this year, Haley. You know, and he's going to get paid something out there. So, not a deep draft for for tight ends. I'll give you that. But if he's going to be being paid seven, eight, nine million a year per year on a new deal, I I don't want to pay for that for what we get from Fant. You know. I like much more that I know not a lot of people love on Disley, but I think you just get more of a complete skill set from Disley. More an ability to play both. He can play both in line. He can play H back. You can put Disley in a variety of different places. You know, with Fant, he's an H back tight end. I think in line, he doesn't have the strength to hold up at the point of attack as a blocker. And he's not that dynamic as an athlete to be paying him at eight or nine million a year. Colson's a middle linebacker, herbicide, middle linebacker for Michigan. Iceberg slim, wide receiver is going to dominate the 2024 NFL draft. Certainly from my perspective, I'm in agreement with you. You can see on my big board here, it's I'm currently at four first round wide receivers and I've got four second round receivers and then about seven, eight third round receivers. So that would be a lot of wide receivers taking the first three rounds if it plays out like that. And it's like, I, I don't see any of my guys in the, I think all those guys are solid first rounders. Like the guys I picked are all going hell. All those guys I picked in the first round are probably likely to go in the top 15. So, yeah, I think you're going to see quite a little bit of a run here on uh, wideouts. Nick Guzman, James Williams took reps at linebacker. You can see McDonald use, uh, utilizing him as a knockoff Kyle Hamilton. It's cool that he did take some reps down there at LB because you want to see him maybe being willing to take on some of that positional flexibility, Nick. 
Um, not because not even necessarily that you're 100% going to move him off safety. You might. That might be the, the approach is just take him, move him into a linebacker. But like you say, in this, in this uh, scheme, you're asked to do maybe both type of jobs. Come down, be a will. Come, go up, back out, be, be the strong safety out there in space. Raduz and Steve Belichick just got hired as DC for the University of Washington. Wow. Crazy. So we've got Brennan Carroll and Steve Belichick on the same staff. Are we building a super staff of the future here? Is that what this is? <laughs> all the young, all the young boys to their fathers becoming men. Uh, Kirk Stemmer, thank you for the uh, $5 donation. I appreciate you, Kirk. Great to see you in the house too as well, brother. If the Hawks spend a first round pick on a safety, I will be the first person on the Fire McDonald and Schneider bandwagon. I can understand it, Kirk. Um, I don't think that Tyler Newbin goes in the top 15. I don't think he goes in the top 20. Uh, I don't even know if I'm sure that he'd go in the top 25. So um, if they did go this route, Kirk, I think that there'd be a couple of steps First off, that would be uh, setting up the stage for the pick that might make you feel a little bit better about it. Of course, you're moving off your two safeties to save the money between Diggs and Jamal. So you're you know, going to probably need to get a safety in here at some point in this draft in addition to what you have in Julian Love. Uh, so there's at some point or another you're going to need to make the pick. Um, number two, because it's not one where you're picking it at 16, I think you'd be moving back once or twice before you'd be landing in the first round and taking Tyler Newbin. So imagine like you jump from 16 to 25 and you get a second round pick back. And then let's say you jump from 25 to 29 and you pick up an extra fourth. Okay. And then you take Tyler Newbin there. And now you're coming back in the second round and you can go and get yourself an offensive lineman. And maybe you can package a fourth and a three and come back in the second round again if you want. Or just pick your native picks all the way through the draft at that point on the other side of it. Um, but I do get that the going back to the safety position again in this way um, would would anger some folks. Um, but it is also that I mean the the most important player in that in that um, defense as much as anybody last year for the Ravens. Clowney had the best year he's ever had, and Justin Matabuke turned into a legit three tech, and Roquan Smith's a monster, and Patrick Lee might have had his best season. But maybe the most important player in that Ravens defense was Hamilton because of all of the versatility that he offered. And that is what you do get with Tyler Newbin. So, you know, if, if McDonald goes out to draft what is for him the most important part of his particular defense in a guy like Newbin, I would understand a little bit of the consternation, but I'd also think that there is something that goes into this that's different from the process of what Coach Carroll did in the prior. You know, you went out there and put all this money in your safety position while not having an imaginative way to utilize those safeties to the utmost. Instead, you were oftentimes going to have them out of the play or playing out of position to their strengths. And that made the investment just completely silly beyond belief, not to mention on the surface of it. But um, I get it. You won't be alone, Kirk. There'll be others that'll also be like, no, don't do that. Please, no. Haley says, I want to cut Disley personally. Too much cost for something that's replaceable. 
Yeah, see, that's where I just don't think it's as easily to find the replaceable item on that Haley. Um, he's a top 17 rated by PFF throughout the season. He's been a top rated tight end throughout this league over the last few years um, by them. And then what stands out is that when I say he gives you a full skill set, he gives you a full skill set. You need your sixth tight end as a tackle, a de facto tackle against the blitz. He can pass protected times like almost a de facto tackle out there. You need a guy that can ground people out in the ground game and can win one-on-one -on -one out in space. He can do that. Uh, Sure-handed as a catcher, if you look at his targets to receptions over the course of his, his career, I think he's about like an 80% catch rate for his career. So when you do target it, he does catch the ball. Um, they don't feature him a lot in this offense. Uh, there's a lot of times where his snaps get restricted, for instance, the past couple of years because you're trying to get more out of Fant because you were paying Fant more money. And so you're trying to kind of work him more and more and more. But, you know, you ask the guy, go, I go out there and for the cost that we're spending in Disley to get top 20 tight end play at this point in this league, um, I, I think that that's, he's giving worthwhile value. He's not setting the world on fire. But as I always say with this, from my perspective, Haley, there's plenty of players on this team to cut who are not doing their job. There are plenty of players on this team to cut who you can save much more money and who make a lot of sense to cut. To me, when it comes to some of the guys bandied about there on the other side of it from some folks, being a Disley or being a Geno Smith, I just don't feel like it's as smart to be cutting out the things that are helping the team win the games versus there being so many other parts here that aren't helping the team win games and that certainly can save you the money. I think when it comes down to it, Haley, you cut Adams, Diggs, Ballor, and Brian Monet. You've cleared $34 million. I don't know if there's a need to go out there and clear $40, $45, $50 million. Um, again, if you do now, you need, to, you need to go get three tight ends. You cut out Disley. Now you're not just needing to go find two tight ends. Now you need to go find three tight ends, which now you clear out that space, but then you just got to go spend that space to go get a guy in tight end and free agency that might just be exactly the same type of player you already had there in Disley, where you just end up kind of chasing your tail up a little bit by signing that move. Nick says Sanders is an uh, upgrade over Urfant. Problem is we have no second round pick to acquire him. Not yet, Nick. Not yet. Just wait. Wait till John Schneider works up his magic. JMG says Fant was underutilized this season. Uh, yeah, he was. That was a part of it. Certainly was. I'd say even over the past couple of years he was, as we didn't like to throw to the middle of the field, that's for sure. I don't really have a problem with Fant other than just, I don't think he's a particularly good blocker. And I think he's going to command like eight or nine million a year. Those are really at the head of it that have, are my problem issues with him at this point. Uh, Taker610, thank you for the $2 donation. There's Tankathon Mock, JJ Mack to Denver, I would laugh my ass off, and JC Latham to Seattle. Latham is, uh, you know, won't have a lot of as much the pizzazz name power out there in the fan base uh, if he was picked, but he would be meat and potatoes, solid, steady. Um, you'd nod your head to that kind of pick and go, it makes sense, I'd get it. So if they went with JC Latham, I'd, uh, I'd understand and uh, I, I, could, I could get behind that taker and, and their approach there with that one. So uh, JC Latham makes a lot of sense. And if... <laughs> If I've got, I got to make a choice between, I, well, you, you got the choice of either JJ McCarthy or you can have JC Latham. Like, <laughs> Latham all day long. All day long. But uh, thank you, Taker. I appreciate you for that donation. Very kind of you. Hey, Lisa's wait. Safety in the first round can be massive value. Earl Thomas and Ed Reed were both sec two of the best to do it, both first rounders. Indeed. Indeed.
about drafting that right kind of safety in that round and where you pick them in the just it's the appropriate value spot to be taking them you know I think some of it Haley is that there are some fans right now that just have a little PTSD when it comes to some of our our safety moves in recent years and not just merely from the Jamal Adams and the Quandary Diggs signings but you know the Marquise Blair second round pick the two third round picks that you invested into the safety position in 17 with Lano Hill and Tedrick Thompson the failures have been many and they have been thorough there Herbicide, who are the good names to watch for at nose tackle in the draft? Man, it, it's it's thin at nose tackle right now. It's really, really, really thin. Um, I mean, there's some guys, but they're, I don't like any of them, man. I, I mean, Deontay Corleone might be able to do a little bit of that. He's an interesting name to look at. There's a lot of three techs in this draft. A lot of three techs. Um, I haven't found many so far, to be honest with you. Every guy that I've gone through so far in my list of guys has been has been basically a three tech every time. Nazir Stackhouse could be interesting out of Georgia, but he doesn't do much on tape. He's a big guy down there that that could be interesting. But Tyleek Williams out of Ohio State is also another guy whose name, but he didn't do anything at Senior Bowl, and I think I've got to drop him down. I had him much higher. I think he's, he's, I have my second round pick. I think he's more third, fourth round at this point. I got to move him down. In fact, I'm doing that now while I'm thinking about it. I leak. I'm popping him down because I don't like the spot I got him in at this point. It's thin, it's thin, thin again though. There's not too many guys that size coming out in these drafts year after year. It's definitely a position that's scarce. Very scarce. Kirk, I would be okay if, uh, I would be okay, I would only be okay with that draft pick if we got a future first round pick out of the trade. Fair enough. That's fair enough, Kirk. <laughs> and I get the PTSD in the safety position thing. Like I totally get it. It's been, it's been a rough road in the safety position recently. Uh, does uh, Tavondre Sweat have a brother in the NFL already? I'm not sure. I'm not sure on that. Haley says, I'm of the opinion that a good safety is an enabler for the entire defense to work. Name one defense ever that has that was generational and didn't have an elite safety. Oh, that's true. Uh, Ed Reed with the Ravens. John Lynch with the, uh, with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Of course, the LOB defenses had their safeties there. Good point. I think even the Bears back in the day had a good safety. I forget his name right now, but he was a hell of a safety. Montez Sweat's little bro. Devondre Sweat's Montez Sweat's little bro. Wow. Great point, though, Haley. And one reason I don't have a problem with it. Nick says, I think we can trade down twice like B suggested and get Newbin with the first pick. We lose out on the top interior offensive lineman, but we get much needed more picks. Adding a second is crucial. It's crucial. And that's what it comes down to for me too, Nick. I mean, if it's a 
a Bauer sitting there, that's one thing. But if it's just a really good player sitting there, then, then to me, it's got to get a got to get one more pick. We're we're picking, you know, I need to get another second rounder. Got to get that second rounder back. Move back and get the second round pick. Find a way to make it happen, and uh, that becomes, as you say, crucial is the way to put it. Because I want to come away with two out of this this range of picks, not one guy, but two out of this collection of picks in here. There's this cut cut Disley can't stay healthy. He had those injuries early on in his career for sure. Okay, so 2020, Will Disley plays in 16 games. 2021, Will Disley plays in 15 games. 2022, Will Disley plays in 15 games. 2023, Will Disley plays in 16 games. Definitely probably got to manage some stuff long-term he's dealing with from those injuries he had at the start of his career because that's where I think stands out is the 2018 he played four games, 2019 he played six, but he's at least played in a lot of games over the past four years for being injury prone. Nick says, B, will there be a stream soon where we fire up the PFF, PFF and do some mock drafts, highlight the possibilities of trading down and not trading down? Oh, absolutely, Nick. We're going heavy on the mock draft season this year, so it's coming down the pike. I wanted to get through a senior bowl a little bit. Um, that was going to be a big part of it for me, Nick, was let's at least get to there. Ideally, obviously, you can do a little bit before uh, the combine. That'll, that'll also help some things out. But uh, no, we'll be getting them cooking up for sure. I love mock draft season. Loves me some mock draft season. Erzai says, I thought McDonald was going to put Spoon in the Hamilton role. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure that you transition him out and have him doing safety looks at times and stuff like that. I don't know. Uh, Dylan, I hope you're right. Antoine Winfield Jr. would be awesome in Seattle if you can get him. I don't think the, I don't think the Buccaneers are going to let him go there. I, I think they'll probably franchise tag him if they can't get him to a contract. I thought he's on a contract right now, but... If he's out there, take him. Haley says, I'm super biased, as Earl Thomas was my favorite player in the NFL ever, second being Ed Reed. But generally, what defense was good without a top safety? Uh, um, okay, well, let's see here. Um, and I'm doing some research right now really quickly here. I think if we looked at the great defenses in recent memory here, um... So I would say Dave Duerson was a pretty good safety for the Chicago Bears. He wasn't a Hall of Famer, though. I don't think he would be like kind of... Um, he would have been a top-end safety for that defense, certainly. But of course, a lot of that defense was run by the 46th Bear front defense. It was what they did up front with the front seven there, Haley. Uh, to your point, though, we've got the Ravens defense, certainly one of the great defenses. They had, um, as you say, Ed Reid. 
You've got Tampa Bay Buccaneers had John Lynch <clears throat> on that great defense. We had the LOB defenses that had, had uh, great safety play. So um, I think it's possible if you're driven more by your front seven to make that happen. You know, I, I don't know if, for instance, the Steelers back in the late 70s necessarily had a safety that was in that realm. I think some of this has been the transition and process to more of the pass-happy kind of approaches and attacks. But um, it, uh, I think it does, in recent history, if you want to build a legendary defense, it does for sure. I think you can still build a great defense without necessarily having great safety play, uh, but you at the very least need to have good safety play. You're not going to have great. You're not going to get by with average safety play um, to get into a championship. That's for sure. And Dylan, you're right. Maybe the Buccaneers end up having to pay Baker the $40 million and they can uh, they don't have the money to pay Winfield at that point. Good point. Where they're at with their cap situation. Where are the uh, bucks sitting on right now? Well, they got $43 million, so they got the cap space to do it if they want to get both those deals done. Nick says, as much as I love Winfield Jr., cutting Diggs and Adams only to invest $20 million into the position is counterproductive. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to do that either. I love Winfield though, Nick, so I have a I have complete bias on this one. I can't say no to Antoine. Uh thank you, Randall, for the five dollar donation. I appreciate you for all the donos tonight, Randall. Uh, as, um, is there a stat for penalty rate per snap? Maybe just me, but Kobe Parkinson seemed like he had a ton of penalties last year, especially for a third tight end. Don't think that they have I don't believe that they do have a stat for that efficiency rate, but I do believe that PFF does give you a stat for how many penalties they've gotten. Could be wrong on that, but yeah, maybe not. Oh no, there we go. So yeah, you're right, Randall. Um, in his prior three seasons, Parkinson had three total penalties. This year, he had six. Six total penalties. So, Will Disley, by comparison this year, had three penalties. So double Will, Uncle Will. That's yeah, that's definitely a lot, Randall, for a third one for a third tight end. That's that's a little bit pricey. I didn't realize he was penalized that much, but yeah, that's quite a bit. Thank you though, Randall. Copperwise is trading back worth a second per the value chart. Um Oh, wait, hold on, sorry.
our pick is worth 1,000 points on the Jimmy Johnson value chart. And if you're picking at 25, there's roughly a 300-point difference. There's roughly a, there's a little over, yeah, there's a little under, if you're 20, let's say 26, you're at 300 on the button, 300-point difference on the Jimmy Johnson value chart. And as you get into the later reaches of the second round, you're right around 300 points. So from it, it basically, and the Jimmy Johnson chart has been updated through the years a little bit. It doesn't hold as much as it, it did it once prior. So essentially, yes. The Jimmy Johnson chart, if you're going 16 to 26, the, it would add up to where the value is basically there. Midnight Suns is later, boys and girls. See you next time on the Hawks Nest. Go Hawks. Hey, go Hawks. Thank you, man. Have a good one. Have a good one, Midnight Sun. Haley says, Matabuke was pretty unknown until Mike McDonald's defense enabled him. Wonder if that's repeatable. Me too. Me too. Tell you what, Haley, you get a lot of one-on-one -on -one opportunities for your uh, free techs in this defense. Stack fronts. You get the offensive linemen going to their, you know, pick, pick up this guy's coming up, blitz you pick up that play. Oh, they don't come. I'm still with my one-on-one -on -one here with Matabuke. So he's going to give your guy who's a three-tech one-on-one opportunities and give them their opportunities and chances. And if you get those defensive tackles more one-on-ones, they should have more success with that. One of the reasons I think, Haley, that he was able to get the season out of Clowney that he got is Clowney, one of the big inhibiting factors for him through the years has been the double-team rates that he's had to... Two things. The double-team rates that he's had to deal with and then these defensive coaches' predilections to want to kick him inside and turn him into that spinner role inside where... With Mike McDonald, he did he did exactly what I said a smart defensive coach would eventually do with me, with Clowney, which is he's my blind side outside rusher. That's his role, and as much as I can possibly get in my scheme, I'm going to get things schemed up to get him one on one opportunities on the edge. And uh, that's he he really made it really simple in that way, and that's why you got that season out of uh, Clowney. So it's really about getting those guys on the front, Haley, and and why you got the 60 sacks across the board, right? Not just the Matabuke and his sacks, but everybody going out there and eating. Is because he gets one-on-one one, one -on -one opportunities, whereas other defenses would be driven more into the double team because they're not stowing as many stack fronts. They're giving those lines the opportunities to get the chips and the double teams and all that to reduce down the effectiveness of the pass rushers. Nick says, Wollen being one of the fastest guys in the league, I want to see designed cornerback blitzes where he's schemed to come in free. I'd love to see that too. Sign me up. Yeah, Misfit, I'd keep Disley just because of his blocking alone. The fact that he gives me the bonus as far as the pass catching is great, but the blocking alone is worthwhile enough. He's a top end blocking tight end in the sport. And those are hard to find. Those are very hard to find in drafts. You might think it's an easy skill set, but it's really not. Dude disgusted B. I've heard that Pete sent defenses back by 10 years because of how he ran the LOB. I've heard that as well. And I'm kind of buying it. I'm kind of buying it. Pete's defense came here at a time where it was already looked at as being very simplified. So it sort of simplified back and took a trend and, and had that then kind of a washing across the NFL, both with his coaches that took over the NFL and then just other teams that just started to build in some of the tenets of our defense into their defense. And it was all about simplifying and pulling back and, you know, not a, a lack of complication. And meanwhile, offenses were growing eminently more complicated. And I think that this is why there's been more of that stretch of difference between offenses and defenses as far as the evolution of either side of the ball. 
But that also means that, dude, there's a lot of room now for the defense to catch up and make up some ground here. And that's where a guy like Mike McDonald inserts himself. But yeah, I think that's been kind of a result of it that was unanticipated that's been a little bit of the part of that is that that simplification ran up against complexity in the late teens and these early 2020s and it got, for the most part, shredded. Unless you had an elite, an elite front four, an elite guy up front four that can still get the pass rush and pressure, it was going to get shredded. And quick pressure at that. Paul Amala was very fun to watch, Haley. Another one. Even go back, uh, you know, like a Packers team that won the Super Bowl. They had a, they had a, Charles Woodson at that time, rocking and rolling, doing what he was doing. Bob Sanders with the Colts back when they won their championship. Um, there's a few others here. There's a couple other examples. Even not even just great defense, just Super Bowl winning defenses. Dude, Bob, what's the cat's name? It is Pumpkin. He's a good girl. Leroy Butler on Packers. There's another good one. Ronnie Lott on the Niners. Darren Woodson on the Dallas Cowboys. Randall McDaniel. Thank you for another $5 donation. I appreciate you for that, Randall. This is what, what was Cross's PFF grade for 2023? Was he up or down from the rookie year? The toe injury hurt him for sure. Wonder if the grade trended up at the end. Still high. Let's take a look. Let's show you guys what's going on here. So here we go. Here's his season grades this year. And we can see last year he was at a 63.7 uh, as his overall grade on 1,000 snaps. He uh, was pretty closely aligned in his run and his pass blocking grade last year. This year on 832 snaps, so approximately 200 less snaps this year. He was a 67.6 grade. So Charles Cross improved by four collective points, basically, from his rookie season by PFF standard. A little bit better than an average year from the left tackle position. Uh, when we look at his scores, Randall, I think uh, it, it does kind of track to what you're saying so you can see the yellows and the oranges here which is you know yellow bad orange eh, green getting good darker green getting really good so he really seems to have his toughest his best best role right here in this three game stretch of the middle part of the year and then it seems like there's a bit more of uh up and down through the end of the year on the play so not totally super strong not totally weak i mean this pittsburgh game in 17 in week 17 was just a, that was a, a, a bad game uh, for the J.J. Watt Highsmith experience, I guess. Alonzo Highsmith, he was just, he really struggled in pass pro in that game. And he's, the run blocking went down this year a little bit. But we always knew the run blocking was going to be a bit of a work in progress with him. So overall, um, still a little bit of a better year than his rookie season. And I expect him to be up probably around the, my, my bold guess, Randall, is he'll be around 75 next year. 75, 80, in that role, in that range. I bet he's right in that spot overall next season. Which is great. Kind of where I thought he would factor into when it was all said and done as a final for where he'll be as a player. 
Haley says, I feel old seeing Joey Porter Jr. last season, Trotter Jr. this season, and Harrison Jr. I'm only 31, but damn. Hey, it's worse for me, Haley, okay? You don't get a complaint on this one. I'm in my 40s, all right? I'm, I'm almost on the edge, Haley, of getting very, very scarily close here to it being a third generation thing. You know what I mean? Or even worse, like I'm going to get the fourth claim, the fourth generation of a Matthews. That's where it gets even scarier. Like, oh Lord, I've almost been alive for all four generations of having played. Oh Lord, I'm that old. So I'm getting to that range. You think that's, you think it's bad here. Wait till you get to that spot. That's when the fear really sets in. That's when Father Time's looking over your shoulder going. Brandon is cross worth it at number nine. He is. He is. It's, it's a, it's. Number one, Brennan, he's been the best left tackle taken on that draft. The other two guys taken ahead of him, Ikawanu and uh, the kid out of Alabama, haven't been as good. Uh, the kid out of Alabama is a right tackle right now, not even a left tackle. So, um, yeah, I, I, he is. He's a pass-protecting left tackle at the forefront. That's what he's going to do best. He can still be a, a decent run blocker, and especially, I think, Brennan, it'll help him if you fit to more of a scheme that's asking him to be more moving in space, you know, pulling and getting to the second-level blocks and that type of stuff, rather than mono y mono just trying to bulldoze his guy off the line of scrimmage. But he had a toe injury this year, still end up having a better year than he did in his rookie year overall. And I think his high side is that he's going to become like a Laramie Tunsil type player. Where is he talked about like Penny Sewell or Trent Williams? No, but the, when we drafted him, that was not his upside. That was not who he was going to be as a player. And if you put a Laramie Tunsil type left tackle on this team, that's fine for value at number nine in the draft. That's great for number nine at the draft. That's a guy that's going to earn a big major second contract in this sport. Uh, so yeah, it's completely worthwhile in my opinion. Haley says, I think the only juniors that I won't feel old seeing is Philip Rivers kids. He's got like 20, so it's kind of expected. Yeah, especially when he's got the 20, you know they started young. <laughs> you know they started, they weren't, he wasn't 25 when they had their first one. Nick says, uh, <clears throat> but it's, Haley, it's going to get worse. Strap yourself in. It's going to be a bumpy ride on that, on that front. Misfit, I, I saw Tez, Nash, Green, Easley, Largent, Zorn, Craig in person. So I feel both old and lucky. Exactly. I'm kind of in the same place. I saw all those guys in person too. I don't know if I got to see Easley. No, I didn't get to see Largent in person, did I? Largent was already, no, he was out there. I saw him. Remo, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, hey, Brando, badass shirt. So excited for the future. I'm excited for it as well, Primo. And I think the fan base is, is excited and doing this channel for four years. There's a sense of excitement like I haven't seen in, in that four years of doing this. People are really engaged. People are really hyped up. Um, there, there's a, definitely an invigoration within the fan base right now and just the general feeling of things. And it puts a big smile on my face. It's so very encouraging to see. Um, but thank you on the shirt. Got to give my love to Kenny Easley, man. I'm going to do some more of these kind of custom shirts that I can wear just for the channel that are some of the former players because I think it's a cool way to kind of celebrate them a little bit. But they had this whole style in the 80s. They would do these with these players and they'd put them in these really cool backdrops. And sometimes it would be like, you know, with Tez, they did the monster one and it would have a different angle to it always. But it was always cool. No matter whoever did whatever one they would do, it, they were always had a lot of thought put into them and they were really well set up. Easley's awesome though. Hall of Famer, probably the best safety we've had in Hawk history. Love Thomas, love Chancellor, but easily is the best that we've ever had. 
Thank you, though, Primo. Appreciate you. And he says, I'm sold. I want a stud, stud safety in the draft. Give me Ed Reed 2.0. I think Kipchins is the closest to Ed Reed. You know what I mean? Like, so with uh, Newbin, he's more of, yeah, do it all, play him anywhere you need to play him. Like, say, kind of a Hamilton kind of player. Because, of course, with Ed Reed, that's a pure, more pure free safety type guy who could hit, who could tackle. But, you know, that's, that's more Kitchens to me, you know. Kitchens, a lot of close comparisons to Reed. Not quite as instinctual because Reed was just one of the most instinctual players ever to play the sport. But um, a lot of it, he moves similar to him. Same kind of ball skills. Fun player. Really fun player. Yeah, Haley, Kenny, McIntosh didn't get any carries this year. Have to just uh, hopefully get bounce bounce back next season. Makes his cross is so young. We knew taking him in the draft. Like B said, I fully expect him to huge uptake in his production. Yeah, exactly. He he was a really good pick. We knocked that one. We hit that one out the park. We didn't. It's not one of those said double decker, second decker ones, but just you got it off. You got it over the fence. You cleared the fence on that one. And I think next year you're going to see the big jump, especially if he can stay healthy. Yeah, Healy, they were not, I, I don't know if really he was much available for, for much in those games. They, the team seemed to have more of a fascination with DJ Dallas, more of a trust in DJ Dallas. And I don't know why they did. We all had our share of, I think, worries with DJ, especially in punt returns. But that's where they just seemed to be standing on it. And then he got injured, like he was getting due in the final week of the season to maybe get some touches. And I think he injured himself in the final week of the season. And that was all she wrote. Yeah, they love DJ Dallas, Philip. Lord knows why. <laughs> I don't I'll have the first understanding. Ruben Nutt, thank you for subscribing to the channel, Ruben. Appreciate you for doing that. And please, folks, do smack, slam, stash, trash, destroy that like button if you could for me, please. It does help out tremendously as far as me being found out on those searches and algorithms and all that good stuff. Dart says, I know uh, Philip Rivers kids have hit the league when I hear a kid with more interceptions than touchdowns gets drafted inexplicably high. <laughs> Misfit, you have yourself a great night. Thank you for uh, being a part of the chat tonight and uh, active one at that. And uh, great thoughts as always, man. Have yourself a good one. Haley, I think uh, Kenny McIntosh has got some great third down back potential. I was really sad we didn't get to see some more of him. He offers a lot, I think, to this team and his potential. And hopefully uh, the next coach is able to kind of take advantage of that. And that injury he had in the scrimmage where he twisted his knee up was just at the worst time for a rookie to have that kind of injury. Because those injuries tend to be the ones that just linger and last throughout the whole year. They never quite get right. You hear these stories very often. And uh, it sucks. But uh, hopefully get him back into the, I mean, he's number three now. DJ Dallas is, your, uh, is a free agent. So he's going to get back and get a chance to get some run. Copper Wise, do you remember the game for the Seattle when they had the four pick sixes? That was the eight, back in the 80s, right? It was like you had Freddie, Freddie Young and Brown and easily all got one. Yeah. It was a little bit of the thing that I was trying to, that, that a lot of people like myself, their older folks, try and bring up to some of the people during the LOB time when people are like, oh, this is the best secondary we've ever had. We've never done it. Like, you guys go back and look at what some of those secondary seasons that we had in the 80s. I know it was the 80s and all that, but they, 
they got it done. Easily had a two-year period there where he had 17 interceptions in two years. 17 in two years. So they they definitely don't get looked upon very much in Hawk history, that, that secondary and what they pulled off in the 80s. But they were, you did not want to throw against them. They had some guys back there with ball skills and they draped, they draped people. Draped them. But I think that's the one you were calling. If I remember that, I, I can vaguely remember it's in the 80s, right? Mid-80s game. Haley says, you think it's worth dipping into the OT pool this year for a Lucas replacement? That's where, I, that's where I've been driven, Haley, to trade back in the first round, and then you take the one of the, the Cooper Bebe, the Graham Barton, the Troy Fatanu, um, because then you have a guy then who can both play the left guard, and then if you need to kick out to right tackle, he's capable of doing so. So it's like you get the two for one with that. You get your insurance policy for Lucas, and then you get the improvement at the left guard position in addition to that. That's why I'm so hot to trot on it because I do have a worry about Lucas with that knee. They mentioned the word chronic last year in press conferences. That gets me very unsettled. And I love Lucas, I do. But if, if they're uncertain about whether he's gonna, where he's going to be in the future now, you've got to kind of pull that card. And Nick, I don't have any offense to DJ either, but I'm, I'm good at this point. I'm with you. I'm, I'm good. I've seen, I've seen enough. That moment this year where he dropped and muffed the punt, and he sat there and he stared at the punt, like he was watching a tree grow. Come on, DJ. Come on, man. Uh, Randall McDaniel, thank you for the $5 donation. It says, Baltimore uh, seemed to embrace value vets on D. Van Noy, Clowney, Calais last year before, Justin Houston, etc. Got a few names who fit that role. Ooh. Um, well, I do think that, if I'm not mistaken, Kyle Van Noy is a free agent. So certainly his... His, you know, familiarity with the scheme and, um, you know, where he's sitting with that definitely makes a lot of sense. I, I would, I mean, there's a little bit of lazy answers to your question on that a bit. I'll, I'll have some more of the guys I'll provide here. And um, once I get a chance, Randall, to do the full dive into the free agency, I'll have maybe a little bit of better options for you with this because it's been such a, it's an unusual off season for me, Randall, where normally I'm already new, super deep in the prospects. I'm already a little bit deep into the free agent period and looking at that, but this year has been a little bit slowed down because of the coaching stuff. So admittedly speaking, I haven't done as much look-see at, uh, you know, what we're looking at in free agency. And then the other part of this too with, with Randall is of course, you know, how much money we're going to even have to spend in free agency at this point to go in and look at these guys that, you know, maybe value guys. Um, but the two guys you mentioned there, Kyle Van Noy and Clowney um, are certainly, I think, you would have to make some connection there with them back into Seattle as maybe potential guys. I'm looking at, um, I don't really see them looking to do this defensively speaking. I would see it as maybe more of a edge rushers than defensive tackles, I guess is what I would say to that. And Jadavian does stand out to me as maybe the guy. I don't know if someone's going to pay him either. Not really.
Not really as far as the value signing guy goes. Looking at these guys that are slotted to maybe make a couple of million a year. And uh, I don't see anybody that's really jumping out with like, you know, maybe a, a Jerry Hughes, like older guy like that, or a Brandon Graham type. Uh, Randall. Derek Barnett. You know, those would be maybe guys on that. Um, Dory Jackson could be a guy that was interesting for his, some of his versatility that he provides as a cornerback. He might get paid a lot, but who knows on that one. I'll have to look a little bit deeper, I think, Randall. Nobody's jumping out to me. Ronald Darby at 30 years old there had, might be a guy you look to maybe bring over from the Ravens as well. That's another guy that's in that collection of guys you just spoke about. Um, but I'm not seeing a lot of guys that jumps out to me on this that could be that guy. I mean, uh, Troy Hill. I can make some kind of wild guesses with it, but there's not... Not somebody that's jumping out. Micah Hyde, I guess, would be another one, maybe. Randall, you know what I mean? Um, like, if you move off your two safeties, you keep Julian Love, and you bring in Micah Hyde and pair him with... Um, especially because with Micah Hyde, you have a little bit of the familiarity between Leslie Frazier. So Micah's 33 years old, not going to get a big contract. You know, you bring him in, pair him up with Julian Love after you cut the other two guys. There's your value signing right there. That one can make a lot of sense on that one. But I'll try to get you some more names that that jump out to me. Um, as I'm I'm a little bit behind on looking at the free agents so far. I've been a little bit just knee deep in the it's either coaches or prospects so far for me, Randall, you know. Clayus might be a potential too. I don't know if he's looking to fully retire or not. I think he is getting close to the end here. He's thirty nine years old, but um, you know, he might be a potential too guy that they look at. Because again, there's the familiarity there, you know. Yeah, I don't see much here. Jumping out to me. Thank you, though, Randall. Randall with another fiver. Appreciate all the donos, Randall. You're awesome, brother. As ever. As ever. Um, he says, uh, can you think of a coach who early in his career was looked at as... Uh, whether a defensive or offense, especially who became a proficient at the other side as the career went on. Okay, so uh, can I can I think of a coach who early in his career was looked at as uh, a, a defensive or an offensive specialist who then became proficient on the other side of the ball as the career went on? Sure, it's happened somewhere. I can't think of any. It seems like if we're talking about that, Randall would normally be a coach that's started out, you know, receivers coach, and then they became corner coach, and they became linebacker coach, and they became defensive coordinator. You know, it's one of those things where they start and they get a little bit of like their feet wet to one side of the ball, and then they're flipped over and into the other side of the ball. Trying to think of who would have stood out to me on that, but nobody's jumping out in my mind that, you know, that that was the way their their approach went. You get a little bit of it with Raheem Morris, where 
Raheem was defense. And then he went and he was like a receivers coach, I think, or something for Atlanta for a few years. And then he went back to the defensive side of the ball. But that's more of a ping pong thing, right? No, I, I can't think of anybody that that's made that transition. I'm sure it's happened. I wish I had a better answer for you. And I'm sure it has, but nobody's coming to mind. As I go through all of the, the people in my head, it's like everybody's just kind of was that coach, that side of the ball. I can't even go to the old school guys and come up with one. Philip Castle, Chuck Fortnox had some defense. He did have some defenses. Those guys could those guys could play. They did not make it easy for offenses on Sundays. Uh, disgusted as another dude says B. Do you have any quarterbacks in the third round that you liked? Well, I did have Rattler prior to the Senior Bowl in the third round. He would be one of those guys there that I would look at. Um, not really in the third at this point. I mean, I originally also had Bo Nix in there at one point in time, but he's pushed himself up in the first round discussion. Um, I had a lot of guys that went back to school that I had in that third round, quite frankly. So it looked a lot better about a month ago where it was standing, where you had Cam Ward in there, Riley Leonard was in there, Quinn Ewers was in there. But all of those guys decided to go back to school. And so it's been a little bit thinned out the herd. On And then you've got, you know, Jordan Travis, if he hadn't had his injury, might have been more of a third-round guy. I think he's a fourth-round guy now. Joe Milton's had an underwhelming kind of year, I think, overall, and hasn't had the best pre-draft process. Also not a guy that's going to be fitting into that spot of things. Um, I don't like J.J. McCarthy in the third round even, so I can't go there. So it's, it's just thinned out. It ain't, it ain't very strong, unfortunately, there. Randall, again, man, thank you for all your donations and support to the channel. Very much appreciated. BB says, not taking anything, not taken away from the secondary in the 80s, but Cam Chancellor, I'm taking as the best safety if he didn't get hurt, uh, even Super Bowl 48. He set the tone with the Demarius Thomas hit. Uh, definitely did set the tone with the Demarius Thomas hit. And I mean, it's, it's certainly when you talk about talking about any of these safeties, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, or uh, um, uh, Kenny Easley. Um, I, I understand we're talking about guys that are all really good players. And I think what, for my, I, if I can settle up the argument in a, in a real clear fashion on this way, BP, and, and certainly I understand that Cam Chancellor had his career shortened due to injury, but so did this player that I'm talking about right now. So, Simply saying, well, Cam, if he had had the opportunity to play more, would have been able to equal what this player did. Um, and that is, Kenny Easley is a Hall of Famer. And Cam Chancellor is not going to be a Hall of Famer. And Earl Thomas is not going to be a Hall of Famer. And that kind of, quite frankly, should sort of settle the debate at that point. You know? Because, you, again, you can't come back and say, well, Easley got to play a 14-year career. No, he had problems with pain medications, burning out his uh, kidneys, and, you know, that, that was that. So he had a fairly short career as well, but he was even more productive, even more prolific um, than either Earl Thomas or Cam Chancellor in both of their careers. Um, you know, the guy has more combined interceptions than the two of those two guys together, to put it in perspective from a career stat, from a career stat, just that alone. And he was a hitter. NBP, he could play free safety and he could play strong safety. He could cover a receiver one-on-one -on -one in space. He had a skill set that Cam and Earl just didn't have. They had their specified skill sets to the area on the field that they played. 
but they couldn't do it all. Ken Easley could do it all. And Kenny couldn't, of course, you know, BP. Kenny, of course, couldn't control the fact that he's playing in a franchise that was, you know, six, seven years old when he arrived on it, right? Very young, fledgling franchise that didn't have the kind of talent that we had in place at the LOB time around him to help him out and allow him to be on his brightest stage for the national audience. Nick says, the one thing we absolutely need from the draft is somebody who can return kickoff and punts and be explosive. More importantly, they won't be DJ Dallas. I don't know, maybe Kenny McIntosh on that, Nick. You know, maybe he's the guy for that. Kelly says, I think it'll be interesting to see John's take on things I'm happy with the move so far. Me too. Me too. The dude disgusted says, uh, this is interesting. Alabama and Kellen DeBoer are accused of tampering with Arizona star quarterback Noah Fafita. Ooh. That's not good. Nick says, if we can get Van Noy or Clowney for under $5 million, there's absolutely no reason to not do it. I think Clowney's going to make a little bit more than that after he had the year he did. But yeah, with Van Noy, you can get him under that for sure. Oh, show. Bruce Irvin, round four. Next is Cam Hart, somebody we could look at. Play the outside corner, opposite of Reek, if we want to look to have Spoon specifically in the slot. I'd go with that. I'd, I could take that. Haley says Slowick was a defensive coach to start on a team with his dad, I think, and has since shifted to offensive. Great example. I know that. They're few and far between, but you think it would help having kind of an understanding on both sides of the ball. Uh, Renardo Green's another day three guy who excelled in man coverage. He played a ton of press, which McDonald calls a lot. Pulling and Spoon and Green could be a very good trio for man-specific coverages. You remember, though, Nick, with uh, McDonald, he loves a lot of zone. He does lean more heavy zone than man, so he does build a little bit of those principles in there. It does fall a little bit more into brand, into, into man-based con, uh, zone concepts. Um, Greg Kemp, how did Kyrie Jackson do at the Senior Bowl? I didn't hear much about Kyrie Jackson. Yeah. He sat out of the senior, uh, corner sits out of the senior bowl Wednesday's practice. It sounds like he got a foot injury, Greg, and had to sit out. Not able to play in the game. It sounds like he missed some practices, so didn't hear any uh, reports coming from on that. Philip Castle says, speaking of a tone, Ronnie Lott hitting Eki Woods in the Super Bowl. Yeah, Ronnie was, Ronnie's probably the best, maybe the best safety I've ever played the game. I, I think Ed Reed certainly has a, a strong argument to be made in that, but Ronnie was a hell of a player. And uh, also a guy that said, I believe that he said, Ronnie, he thought Easley was the best safety he ever saw, if I'm not mistaken. He had a quote about Easley at one point. But yeah, Philip Easley was a machine. I mean, he was just, Go back and watch his highlights. A guy that could have played in any era. He had the size. He had the speed. He had the, the meanness to him. He hit like a truck. He had ball skills. Um, there was nothing that Kenny Easley couldn't do on a football field. Including blitz. 
Haley says, B, so let me ask. Mafe, Nuosu, Williams, and let's say Sweat on the defensive line. Uh, even just those four. And who do you block them? And add in Spoon showing Blitz. Maybe we get Queen. Dangerous. That would be dangerous. Um, sign me up for that, Haley. I think that that would be a tremendous front four to be able to throw at, throw at teams. And it would give them problems. Because you got to get the, the double on Tavondre, which means you're going to single up on Williams. And Williams is going to be able to hunt if you get him singled up. And uh, that says nothing of what you're able to do off the edges now with Uchenna and uh, Mafe, who are both really athletic and can move well in space. And they're good droppers in space and coverage if you want to bring the zone-based blitz concepts into play. A lot of flexibility with that front four, Haley. Good place to start from and starting to rebuild this front four and make it into something that's actually dangerous. Uh, Copper Wise, say what you say, say what you will, but uh, we did make the AFC Championship back in the day. We did. Shows you how strong that team really was. And that was for a team that was so very young. You know, they didn't have 20, 30 years of history in building not only their, their team and the talent, but the organization and the, all you need to have in that organization. It's like where our organization is right now, where a lot of these people have been in this building going back to the Holmgren years even. You know, you build a little bit of that, that continuity helps through the years and, and, and helps everyone. Um, and you don't have that as an expansion franchise. But yeah, they were, they're teams that aren't as appreciated. I think it's because it's so long ago. It's hard to remember. And so many people didn't live through those times, but you can't take away from those from being really good teams. Nick, uh, Queen's going to be expensive. We would need to make some significant cuts. He would cost a lot. I think you make your, your base cuts of Eskridge, Brian Monet, Andre Diggs, Jamal Adams. That's going to free up about $34 million right off the rip. And you take that and you... Add that to about the $5 million you're rolling over from last year's cap. And you should have enough money out there then if you wanted to really feasibly do it. Go and get Leonard Williams, get Queen. Have a little bit of money left over at that point. Dude, disgusted, I got to tell you. I think this coach and what he is doing is going to be special. Mike is already surrounding himself with people who have experience. Every step of the way, to your point, my opinion as well, has been a, a rightful step and a true step and the appropriate step. And it's making me very encouraged for the potential of this team, not only in the near future, but the long-term future. You know, you don't get to being a great team by just making one marvelous selection in the draft or making one marvelous decision with the head coaching job. It is a collection of decisions and choices that you make that then build to that point of ultimate success. And when you can see this, the, the small successes along the way and what you're doing conceptually, you can see how you're going to get there. And that's what it appears to me too. I'm very jacked by what I'm seeing. And, and every step they've made this offseason as an organization so far has been the right one, the appropriate run, the correct one, the smart one. And that's why I think it's going to ultimately lead us back to, to being successful again here in the future. Uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you for that, Garth. And all your donos tonight, as always, man. Another one of my folks, uh, big time support on this channel. Very much appreciated. Brando, I'm actually older than you, but got into football later, so I'm sad I missed the greatness of Kenny Easley. UCLA guy along with a few cats, right? Going back to UCLA days. And uh, Kenny's just uh, a kind of guy that just, uh, it might seem like I'm overstating him and what he was, but the, his impact was just, Tremendous on the football field. And um, I've gone back and watched old games with Easley. And when he was out there roaming in his prime, you feel him. You feel his presence. You feel him all over the football field, almost in on every play it feels like. The guy was just a, a nearly perfectly molded football player. 
And uh, there are guys that you can point to and go, well, that guy was good for his time and his generation and for when he played. And there's guys you look at and you say, well, that guy could have played in any era. That guy with his mentality, that guy with his natural talents. You know, a Bo Jackson to me could play in any era. Bo, uh, Barry Sanders, even at five, seven, could have played in any era and been great. Um, Ken Easley, I think, would have been just like one of those guys in the 80s that I absolutely would have applied that same model to. So any era, he would have been awesome. And uh, just did it, literally did it all. Could do it all. And uh, it's hard to find. Hard to find. Even now in this day and age with all of the versatility, it's hard to find the safety that can play both strong safety and free safety and, and none that can play it at a dominant level both. You might find one that can play them both, but not play both of those positions dominantly. And that's what Ken Easley was able to do. Great player. Thank you though, Garth. Appreciate you, man. I only got to catch a little bit of myself when I was growing up because it was right at the end and he was just on the way out as, as I was coming in into my understanding of hockey football and all that, but got a little bit of it, got a little bit of taste easily. Nick Guzman, Connor Williams, and Robert Hunt look to be free agents. We could get one of them, uh, then sign Williams and possibly re-sign Wagner. Makes the draft a lot easier. I do think that the track record, to your point, Nick, when you look at John Schneider, is usually to try to set the draft up to where you're not as much as possible needing to have a bunch of needs in front of you where you can that, that's what opens that door to drafting to value is to having these other positions kind of taken care of in advance um connor williams interesting guy definitely i think will be on the radar won't cost i think a lot hunt yeah right along there with them for sure so i i'd be okay with taking that approach if they wanted to on that path nick for sure so that'd be a solid ran the cuts is where at a crossroads we either take the next steps or it doesn't work Count me in for the ride. Let's go. Let's go and just enjoy the ride. Haley says, Queen's the most worth it for agent. He knows Mike McDonald's defense offers the athleticism we need at linebacker and also freeing up one big hole we have. Can't go into the draft with two linebackers needed. No, you can't. That would be, I think, a, 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 that's one of the reasons why I keep coming back to Wagner being brought back to Haley is that it does give you that certainty and Nick's in the same place where it gives you a little bit of that warm, fuzzy feeling going into the draft of we don't have to get two of these guys or we're in, you know, because that's going to lead you to, to reaching. That's going to lead you to get outside the value state of mind. So like having one of those, if it's not Bobby Haley, I would estimate that they're going to sign some middle linebacker to be the starter there if it's not him. I can't think that they're just going to go, we'll just take both of the two. Um, we'll take middle linebacker, second, third round, and call it a day. We did it in 05 though, Haley, I'll say that. Leroy Hill, Lofa Tufutupu, rookie linebackers, took you to the Super Bowl. So uh, we have done it before. Boys, go make us nervous. Especially for a defense like this that asks so much of their lineback middle linebackers. Strike says, Well, I live in the central time zone and need to sleep. Excited to see where we go. Thanks for the great content. Well, thank you, Strike, and thank you for watching. I really do appreciate it. You have yourself a great night. Sleep well. Nick says Queen will be 15 plus million a year. If we if we get him, we can resign uh Williams. Yeah, I, I think you can still afford to get both of them. Because of course, Nick, too, like they will cost a lot on average year per basis, but if you look at it, both of those contracts where you'll be signing those guys, you could get right around probably nine, $8 million as a first year cap hit for both of those two deals. So if it costs collectively as a first year cap hit, $17 million for let's say Williams and Queen, you take that off of, like I said, about $39 million in functional cap space. That still takes, that still leaves you at about, uh, that would still leave you at what? 23, $24 million to do your basic business, to sign other guys, to go get some tier three free agents if you want to at that point. Um, you're not, and you can still put together, I think, a damn fine football club. 
So it's it's always remember with that these contracts, it's always that first year hit. In the case of Queen, it's a four year deal for so the first year hit can be brought down pretty significantly to make it real economical on the first year of the cap hit. And with Williams, same kind of thing, I think. You know, Williams might be because he's on a three year deal, more of like a ten million dollar first year cap hit, but I think with with Queen, you can get it down to like seven or eight million dollars, you know, at that point. Big country, the Mariners have made a couple of big trades in the past week or so, getting Polanco and Santos. I'm thinking the team is better than last season. Jerry did the best he could. He did. Uh, he did big country. I don't think that this is a problem of Jerry and it's on him and that I, I blame him. He's He's got an onus from ownership coming down, forcing him to be a certain way. So uh, that's not his fault. You know what I mean? Um, I just find myself in the current state of things of feeling like you're trying to do these, you're trying to do all these super creative inventive moves because you can't do the straightforward thing that you should be doing. Uh, it Maybe it works. Yeah. Is it to me a little bit of stuffing the camel through the eye of the needle? Yeah. It's a little bit of that. Um, I'll pay attention to what's going on with a big country, but where were the, where the Mariners are and where the Seahawks are, in my opinion, are kind of in two different places. And with his, to me, energized as the fandom is with the with the Hawks right now, I, I could easily just see myself driving forward with just Seahawks content through this offseason and calling that a day. You know, I don't know if I'll stream any Mariner games this offseason. So I'm not watching bad baseball again. I'm, I'm not watching a team that's going to spend less than $150, $160 million less than their competition around them and expect it. And then, then look around at their fans and go, we don't know why we can't compete. It's like, give me a break, you know. But I, I'm, I'd be happy, big country, if I'm Pleasant, if I'm surprised, if they shocked me. Phillips says, laugh now. Uh, let you imagine, did you know Ronnie Lott and Joey Browner went to college together? Imagine that safety dough. Wow, that would have been a hell of a safety dough back call. I wouldn't want to be going over the middle against them. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, Randy, I feel like we're bringing back Brooks. He's way faster, so Mike can mold him. Uh, I think the market for Brooks isn't what it looks to be. We'll see. Could be. I could see it going that way. Haley says Brooks will be too similar price compared to Queen. Why take the worst coverage linebacker in the league on a hope uh, when you can just take Queen? Well, that's what brings me to Queen, really, Haley. You know, because I don't, I mean, Rand, you might be right, no doubt about it. But on my looks of things, I think that Brooks makes between 10 and $12 million average per year. That that's just kind of going to be the cost for where he's going. And that's just a bit too pricey. Williams, Queen, Connor Williams, Hunt would be an absolute uh, dream of every agent hall. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that that you feel good going in the draft. You got that, Nick. Feel like you can do whatever you want in the draft if you're able to pull those guys in. Phillips is almost guaranteed Queen is being considered. Oh yeah, I think he's of any, of any of the Ravens right now that are going to hit the free agent market. I think Queen is the most likely for them to target. Greg says, "Dang, Brandon, that sucks to hear about Kyrie Jackson." And what did you think of Cam Hart? They were the two cornerbacks I asked you about before uh, the Senior Bowl. I'm I'm sadly Greg, and I'm trying to I'm trying to pursue through. So uh, let me show you, Greg. I know you just you popped in here the stream. So uh, let me show you, Greg. Here are the guys I've looked at right now. Um, I can't get my dang window capture to come up right now. Hold on. Boom. Nope, that's not it. Here we go. So here's, uh, Greg, my uh, current kind of status here on the old um, draft, big big draft horizontal board. So I'm cooking, man, through, uh, I, I've got a lot of prospects I'm trying to cook through. 
Um, but I've got to admit it, I'm a little overwhelmed as well right now, man, just because it's, uh, there's so much going on right now. You know, it's, it's one of those things where Greg, I can't do it like I more normally purely could do this off season. Cause we had the, the firing of coach Carroll. We've got the looking for coaches. We've got the hiring of Mike McDonald. We've got the consideration of the offensive coaches. We've got the hiring of Leslie Frazier. Who's going to be the OC? Who's going to be the DC? So what's, what it's done is it's definitely pushed me now, Greg, to where, you know, I'm, I'm scrambling a bit here to try to get as many as I can, but I, I'm, I'm pumping through the names, brother. I'm pumping through the names. Every day I'm driving through at least three guys as I can get through. And as you can see here on my list, I mean, I must be damn near up to 160, but I've, I've got your guys on my list. I do. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to have to be a bit of a process you give me on to kind of get through these guys because there's just, there's, there's so much to go through in this off season right now. You know, there's going to be just, an, an insane amount of stuff. And that means that the typical normal stuff that we have as far as the timeline process, um, it's just going to get bumped a little bit on, on the way that, that that structure kind of works with it. So, you know, I maybe have, had hoped I could get up to like 220, 225, where I'd have those guys like Kyrie and Cam, you know, Hart in there, you know, looked at. But unfortunately, I'm not there quite yet. I'm, I'm still, you know, I, the, the list is just too long to get. <laughs> There's just too many guys, you know, it's 330, 350 guys. And uh, if I could do this full time, Greg, to where I could just pop on every day and scout a guy and do that, it'd be one thing. But thumbnail creation, new show plan, get this set up for that. Do the B and B show set up, get that thumbnail created, title, description, tag thing. It's that thing where it's like, so I always say with this man, it's frustrating because I I need 29 hours in the day. I only got 24, you know. So um, I'm grinding, brother. I'm grinding, Greg, and I'm I'm gonna get through as many of these. I'm gonna get to these prospects as fast as I can, and I promise you, man, I'm just I'm. Uh, tonight, when I go done with the stream, we'll be finishing up here soon. And once I'm done with the stream, it'll be back right on to grinding up on tape. So it's, it's bump, 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 you know, just trying. But uh, it seems that many, many of you like yourself are a little bit ahead of me on this. You guys have been doing your grind and you've been getting on these prospects and you're ahead of me on this, man. So uh, I tried this year. I thought I would get up on it, but uh, you guys are just a little faster than me on some of these, man. You guys are cooking and uh, it's a good job on your part staying up on it in that way. But hopefully soon I'll have some thoughts for you on those two guys. Don't have anything for you right now. Um, just too deep into it. Just been too, just been too busy. Can't, can't, can't catch my breath right now. You know, usually at the end of the season comes, you get a couple of weeks, but it's been hot and heavy. I'll try to take a look at those guys though, as soon as I possibly can. In Baku, any quarterbacks you're interested in to sit behind Gino? I'm not out on Gino train, just hoping we look to invest in the future. Um, my thought on this in Baku had been for a long period of time that we'd be looking to try to maybe, you know, Let's look at a guy more third round than first or second round. We don't have a second round pick and I don't really want to take a guy in the first round. I think the third round class of guys has been kind of leaned out a little bit. So there's not as many guys as a month ago there appeared that there was going to be because of the NIL and them going back to school and guys going back to their senior year. And so there's just not the guys to pick from that are available to grab. Um, so there really isn't too many guys out there right now at this point that are going to be sitting in the third round, for instance, that I would really look to go out there and grab. Um, Jordan Travis could be interesting in the fourth round. Michael Pratt could be interesting in the fourth round. Um, that's kind of about it for me. I think Rattler goes in the second round. That's too high for me to pick him. I think Nix goes in the first round. That's too high for me to want to pick him. So quite frankly, this has turned in a recent way with the, the guys going back to college and there's, there's just nothing, there's just nothing there on that. We have heard why Johnson said no to the commanders, if it's true. 
Do you think we are ever going to find out what he said, why he said no to us, but I still have love for McDonald? Uh, my, my opinion on the Ben Johnson situation at this point, Phoebe Morsiox, is nobody knows what is the truth. There's a lot of narratives and things being said about what's going on, but we don't, we, we also understand that there's a guy like Johnson who could be doing a lot of PR campaigning in the way he's trying to mold this situation so that it doesn't look like he went in there and crapped the bed on his interview. So I, I think when we start trying to pull too much from these reports, I don't, I, I don't think that there's really of much value to doing it. And I don't think that there's much productivity in doing it because we're just going to end up in a state of guess playing a guessing game. Um, I think that we liked, I think we preferred McDonald over Johnson. I don't think Johnson said no to us. And then we went to McDonald. I think McDonald just rose to the top and became that bright, bright candidate. And, and so they jumped on that one with it. Um, so I, I, I would just go and, and say, I, I think, um, we don't know, you know, on that one, maybe someday we'll learn the truth to it, but I don't think that he rejected Seattle. That's as it's kind of being played like he just decided to tell the teams no when he's going like I that's again narrative stuff, I think. Haley, unless we're going Bobby plus rookie, which I'd also be down for. Brooks needs to go though. The Hawks nest, how many yards has Brooks given up? Brooks is credited with giving up twenty three hundred yards in a four year career. Including one season, Haley, where he gave up over a thousand yards in coverage from the linebacker position. That's a lot. That's a lot. Well, got to keep you on your toes, sir. I know, man. I know. <laughs> um, that's crazy. Uh, of which he's missed about, what, one and a half of them, two? Uh, let's take a look. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say the nine games he's then. Yeah, 2,400 yards in coverage. And, and remember with this too, it's, yeah, I missed a couple games, Haley, but remember as well, he only played 367 snaps on the field in his rookie year. So he's given up that 4,300 yards while barely playing his first rookie season. Uh, Taker, thank you for the $2 donation. JJ McCarthy equals McDonald's Big Mac. <laughs> I hope that's not a reference to our coach, Taker. <laughs> But yeah, he's the equivalent of as far as of uh, burger uh, quality. Yeah, that fits. That's about the equivalent of the, if he's, that's the quarterback equivalent to his burger quality, he would be a Big Mac. Looks good on the surface of things, but when you really dive in beneath, it's got no real nutritional value in there. Greg Kemp says the Ravens wanted Brooks over Queen and the new coach could possibly want both. You just never know. It's totally true. Totally true, Greg. And that was the scuttlebutt at the time was that the, the Ravens, we had kind of snaked the Ravens on Brooks and that they just went with Queen as kind of the consolation. Uh, it was a little bit too, Greg, uh, to your point on that, that was a little bit of what Schneider was talking about in his press conference um, last week, a little bit about the Ravens-Seahawks, you know, relationship that was between the two where, um, you know, they're always grabbing the other player the other one wants, you know, in the drafts. Or it's just, we seem to, for whatever reason, both of the two teams target the same kind of players. 
And that seemed to be a case of exactly just that, Greg. Pretty, pretty funny. So you're right, but you're right to your point. Uh, we don't know what the preference is going to be for Mike McDonald or which way he's going to want to lean with this one. And he may, he may have a preference to Brooks. You know, they may be able to get Brooks at a lesser cost than I'm thinking he's going to be paying. You know? And if they do want to play potentially the compensatory game here, that may factor into it as well. Resign Jordan Brooks, resign Leonard Williams. Don't go out on the free agent market and really sign anybody. Get the compensatory picks back next year for any of the guys that we lose, like Noah Fan, for instance. Could make some sense, Greg, if they go that route too. Yeah, it's Haley. It's it's think about it, it's that rookie year to think about it with Haley is uh and it's twenty four hundred yards. Um, but it's that rookie, it's that rookie year where he barely plays and still has that many yards too. You know. It's both. Jeffrey O'Kelly says you, you can't forget that that could also be Pete's soft zone scheme with Brooks. Definitely. Definitely could be a part of it too, Jeffrey. I'll give you this. If you can get him into man coverage situations, Brooks is better. But that more of this defense we're going into with McDonald is more zone-based than man-based. So that makes me worry that we're just putting Brooks back into kind of similar, not as bad as circumstances, but similar circumstances that he struggled with in prior. That's what gets me a little dodgy about putting him on a 10 to 12 million a year per deal on a four-year contract. So I go, eh, if we're going to maybe more man, more blitz, utilizing his blitzing ability a little bit more, maybe on that. Um, that dude disgusted. There's a lot of, he said, she said with Ben, he says the owner doesn't seem that interested in football, more into basketball. The owners say he did a bad interview. Exactly. I, I go, I take away from that. I go, I don't know what to take away from that. Somebody's lying or everybody's lying, you know? Um, I do know when it comes to Johnson going back to being a coach and not wanting to be a, a head coach, it's very rare for guys to have a job offer out there to be able to do that. And instead they, uh, you know, turn it down and go back and take the secondhand duty job thing. That's a very rare thing you ever see. And that to me leads me to believe that this, that doesn't add, Ben's story doesn't add up to me on that front. It could be the truth, but it doesn't add up. But then we come back to who knows? He said, she said, that's right. Uh, Jose Cano. Thank you, Jose Cano, for, uh, for uh, becoming a subscriber of the channel. I appreciate that. Also reminded me, we only got 100 likes in the house. So let's get some more likes up on this video if we could. If you're in here watching right now, come on. Please smack that like button for me. Help me out. Get it raised up a little bit. It helps the channel grow tremendously. Also, a good time right now to thank the sponsor of this show. Sponsor of this show is going to be Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy, you can click the link below, top of the description section. And if you click that link, go to Underdog Fantasy on your first deposit with them. They will match you up to $100 of your first deposit. So you just use my code, click the link down below, put $100 in. They match you $100 back. So $100 on me to you through Underdog Fantasy. Win, win, win. Everybody wins in that scenario. They got some great ongoing contests throughout the course of this year, including during the Super Bowl. Get some overs and unders. You think Kelsey's going crazy. You think Mahomes is going to go nutso against that Niner defense or they're going to put the clamps on him. Well, you can wager in on that right on now let's get over there to uh, underdog fantasy today it will continue on through this offseason basketball baseball everything in between all the sports march madness take advantage now they've got some great ongoing contests prize packages available at all times and thank you to underdog fantasy for sponsoring the show throughout the course of this year as it's very much appreciated philip castle that many yards is poop flavored Ugh. yeah let me show you guys so you guys don't feel like I'm BSing you or like I'm selling you down the down the line here with Jordan Brooks. Let's take a little looky here, shall we? 
Let's take a little look at Jordan Brooks here, shall we? I'm going to show you this. Now, you guys might want to avert your eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, warn you of that in advance. Just, you might want to avert your eyes, okay? Here's our, here's our Mr. Jordan Brooks PFF. Let's go down to his career ratings here, right? This is the good stuff right here. This is the good stuff. So we notice here that first season I was talking to Haley about here with the, the 367 snaps. You can see him up around 1,000 snaps in 21-22. You can see him here at 800 snaps. Now we're going to go on over here to the column over in coverage. See the gray coverage? You got, look at the top tab. You can go over to the coverage tab. And you can go over and you can see the yards given up. So this past year, 526. The year before that, 624. That's when I tell people, they go, oh, he's much better in coverage. I go, he's marginally better in coverage. As evidenced here by the coverage scores, you can see on this right-hand column under coverage too. But uh, 526, 624, 1,000 yards. And then the first year of his career, 240 yards on only 367 total snaps. He has been targeted 220, 277 times in his career. He's been credited with giving up 226 receptions. So 81% of the time that you target Jordan Brooks, he gives up a reception. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, all the way bad. And then there's the bottom stat. He is right there aligned at exactly 2,400 yards given up in coverage and 13 touchdown receptions allowed in four seasons of play. Uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you for that, Garth. Says Brando, I'll be honest. It's been mentioned prior in chats and such, but I can see Jody Allen being a turnoff to applicants. Well, it's something that's definitely been presented to me, even to folks, uh, you know, John Stillwell, and I've had a lot of talks about this as well. Um, and that, you know, he's got some personal history and being around her and says, look, man, she's, she's not, it's not necessarily a fun, fun dance dealing with Jody and, and, being underneath her, you know, she is a little bit, can, she can be a bit of a pill on stuff as far as what I've heard from certain people about that. I don't, you know, I, I'll take them for a word, John, certainly for his word on that, but, um, can that be a turnoff to potential, uh, a, a coach? Yeah. Um, do I buy Garth that, that Ben Johnson was all on board with signing with Seattle and they had all the parameters in place and that he just came down to saying no, cause he didn't trust Jody. I don't, I don't think I can get to that spot of it. You know, and it seemed, it didn't seem to turn off Mike McDaniel, not Mike McDonald in the situation who seemed to be one of the brightest candidates out there. It seems like Washington wanted Mike McDonald over, uh, Gus, uh, over Dan Quinn. It seemed like Dan Quinn wanted to come to Seattle over going to Washington, you know? So if it's, if it's her turning it off, you'd think in those two cases, it would be flipped around the opposite way, right? That McDaniel would have told, would have taken the Washington job over Seattle. Or the Dan Quinn wouldn't have wanted to come to Seattle. You know, he would have been like, look, you just fired one of my great mentors, you know. Mm. You know, dropping the big middle finger on us or something, Garth. You know what I mean? But I, I, I got to acknowledge it's, it's a possibility. It's absolutely in, in play as, as feasible in the scenario that um, she could potentially be that turn off in it if she is as hard as I've been told she sometimes can be. Maybe she's softening with age, you know. People get a little bit softer with age, Garth. They lighten up a bit, you know, get a little more warm and fuzzy. Maybe, maybe she started to move in that direction of things.
Uh, thank you though, Garth. Appreciate all your donations tonight. Haley says, uh, I think the telling thing regarding stats is Brooks compares favorably to former Seahawk Cody Barton has close to the same stats as Brooks when he was here. Very much, very much true, you know? And uh, that's where that first round pedigree, I think, Kaylee, sometimes carries you pretty far. You know, you're taking in the first, you got that stamp of I'm a first round guy. It, 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 whether you've had some bad moments on the field or a lot of bad moments collectively on the field or not, that becomes, uh, uh, that becomes kind of how you're looked at. And Cody Barton's a third round guy. Those are disposable, you know, so when he doesn't start to play as well, it's like, eh, move it on, get another one. But I think you bring up a pretty fair point and that they're a lot more similar to being who they are as a player than they are um, dissimilar in what they bring. Great point. Great point. That's where that, you know, narrative versus reality kind of fits in a bit too, I think. Dude uh, Disgusted says, need that collab with the Oc Podcaster B? Not because you share a name. (laughs) We'll try to get it going, Disgusted. As soon as I can get through, it's just, to me, it's that that process of time where it's, I'm struggling right now to just find that efficiency of time. That's my that's my thing right now is just measuring the getting the new videos out versus looking at the prospects versus taking a look out at free agency versus doing the background checks on these new coaches coming in to understand what we're getting. I mean, I still got a Mike McDonald video I have to put together in the next couple of days just on kind of a shorter video that's not the long live stream one. You know, that just gives a you know here's what we're getting with this guy kind of thing. Um, and I've been late on that video. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I feel I'm behind right now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit behind. I'm kind of skating a little bit, but uh, I'm trying like hell to catch up. So eventually at some point, the process this off season, we'll try to turn it into a direction where um, I can reach out to some other Hawk podcasts and maybe have a kind of a collective couple week period where we just do some sit down discussions with some of these um, other podcasts, other people out there doing what they do on the Seahawk front in the YouTube space that I've gotten some requests for. And uh, I'm happy to do that. I'm definitely happy to do that. I just got to get that second where I can, you know, reach out, get the plan put, put in things in place, get all that kind of set. Uh, Haley says, can you compare these stats to two other players, Barton and Queen? Sure. So in regards to Barton, um, another guy that again has played in this league for five years now. Um, collectively, he's got about the same number of snaps in his career as, as Brooks with 2,000 snaps. I mean, they're about the same spot. And when you look at coverage, Cody Barton's given up 789 yards in coverage. Um, but... But Haley, to your point, look at this stat here where he's targeted 152 times. He's given up 119 receptions. So the 80% reception rate when targeted still remains in place. That's exactly where we saw the stat was at with Brooks. So, you know, maybe a little bit less run with Barton as far as the total snaps to a degree here. Um, Just a little bit less run. But yes. Some similar things still there in coverage. He's given up six touchdown receptions. You know, again, that it, when you target this guy, he's going to give up the reception. He ain't getting a pass breakup. He ain't doing anything, you know, on the other side of it. So there's, there's definitely some similarities there. Uh, let's look at Patrick Queen. So with Queen... 
we can see he had a really rough start to his career, but he really bumped up in his grades, especially once Mike McDonald came aboard the past two years. So with Queen, he has a similar rate to Brooks, 270, 272 targets, 219 uh, receptions allowed, 2,000 yards given up total. He has more collective snaps significantly than Brooks overall, right? So he's got the 2,000-yard seasons, and he's got 800 snaps, 800 snaps. So he's probably about, about 900 more snaps total than Brooks over that time period. He's also trending in a better direction, I think, quite than where Brooks has been with that. But, you know, even this last year, 74 targets, 59 receptions, 79 uh, reception rate. The one thing that stands out, though, is if you look at the coverage grades from PFF, despite the number of yards given up, the coverage grades are so much further and away better than what you get from Jordan Brooks. And you can see me highlighting these two numbers here on this column on the coverage side. Look at those two numbers. Brooks is down here at the 30, the 30 and the 35 grade. Kind of what I'm trying to say is Patrick Cream's worst coverage stuff happened in his first two years is kind of what I'm trying to say, Haley, in the long way around on this. It's come, it's gotten better. It's improved. Whereas with Jordan Brooks, it's basically saying, staying at about the same state. There isn't really a bump or an improvement or a jump there. It's, it is what it sort of is. But has he given up a bit of his share of yards? Sure. He has a little bit. Has there been still that same efficiency in targeting at times? Yes. But I think with it, I mean, look at the, he's given up 10 yards of reception his first two years, got it down to eight yards of reception this year. I think that there's some trends to what you see with Queen that, that are, are improved. Um, he's also going to give you a better run defender score than, than Brooks is, you know, just that $5 million a year, better player, right? Haley, not a star, but $5 million better than what Brooks is on the open market. When we're talking about them being two players outside of their rookie contracts, heading into their first contract, heading into their theoretical prime, um, just worth that little $5 million more. Philip, 81% a rough lick brother. That's pretty tough. Yeah, it's pretty tough, man. And he's just, it, the eye test matches up to these, by the way. I know I talked about the eye test pairing with this. Tell me you guys haven't watched Brooks in coverage and that this is what you see from him in coverage. He is completely lost out there at times. And he has even big issues with rallying up and tackling after the catch. It's, it's rough. Uh, Taker610, thank you for the $5 donation. Thank you for all the donations today, Taker. I know you've dropped a couple of donations tonight. I really do appreciate you for that. It'd be interesting if John and Mike did clash over JJ, seeing as Mike has those Michigan ties. Seems like John would defer to Mike on defensive picks. Yes. And I think that, you know, when it comes to, to Mike McDonald pushing too hard on John Schneider about not wanting to go for JJ, just let's play out the conversation taker. You know, Mike comes in and he says, hey, John, Mikey boy, how you doing in the house today? Well, I'm doing good, John. I just, I saw our scouting evaluations. I was talking with our scouts. We've got a fourth round grade on JJ. That's right. That's what he's worth. Can we can we bump that up to maybe a first? Uh, nope. Well, but I think he's really good. Okay. Well, I drafted Russell Wilson in the third round. Uh, I was part of the team that drafted Aaron Rodgers in the first round when everybody else was passing on him. Uh, and I made Geno Smith our starter and comeback player of the year when uh, when that needed to happen. I traded Russell at the right time and got maximum picks for him when everybody else thought Russell's stuff didn't stink. So, uh, you know, Mike, maybe just concentrate on the defense right now. You know what I mean? 
This is my wheelhouse. That's kind of what I'm saying, Taker. Like, he'll put it nicer, obviously. But, but John can come to him and be like, look, this is my wheelhouse of evaluation. This is, this is something that is one of those positions that I've got a great track record with. Um, I understand it. I, I, have a, I have a good history with it. I was out there scouting Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen on their pro days. So you can trust me that I will get you the quarterback. You can trust that I got that part taken care of. Like, I need to trust that you've got the defensive side of the part taken care of. So um, it's something he might try to push a little bit for Taker, but I would hope that John would be able to reel that in a little bit. And I do not understand in the slightest how J.J. McCarthy can be a guy that's looked at as a, a first-round pick. How, do you, how, you know, how can you be looked at in that way if you, you have an offense in college that's got to protect you? The first guy I can remember in recent history and watching that people are targeting as a first-round pick whose offense protected him, whose offense tried to limit the amount that he had to throw, the amount that he had to impact the game. That it, it, it's startling to me that he's risen in that way despite that. It's like the college program, Harbaugh himself is telling you something. When he, when he passes it for seven times a game against Penn State, they're telling you something about that quarterback and his ability. But thank you, Taker. I appreciate that $5 donation. Certainly possible. Uh, Greg says, Brandon, no problem. I understand the offseason's been crazy. I just enjoy the insight you bring about the draft prospects since I don't watch college football. Well, keep bringing up the names to me, Greg, because I, I do value, like, you're doing me a, a favor in the, in the names you're bringing up to me on this with these because so, sometimes there's the hunting and pecking to find who the prospects are that people are hearing from, you know, and I can kind of collect these better from some of the names I hear from you guys pulling these in rather than having to go out there and search up all these top 200 lists and top 300 lists to find the, the guys that I need to be evaluating and scouting. So uh, I promise you, man, it's going to be um, an off season and I'm jacked to do it. I'm jacked to work on this. So like, I'm not complaining at all. I'm, I, I love this channel. So I love doing the work and putting it in. Um, and I'm going to be, hopefully, the real hope is in the next month to really be batting down the hatches and just lock in and be able to really have a good 300 prospects. I've got good to go. By the time we're kicking into March, by the time we're getting into the combine, I'm hoping to have my um, my yearly. I'm working on right now, Greg, my yearly um, my draft guide. Um, you know, I do that on the by yearly basis. So right now, I've got my draft guide cooking along. I'm about twenty thousand words into it as far as my guide goes. So it's getting it's getting bigger and bigger. I'm hoping to have that out by March this year, whereas last year I waited all the way into April and right before the draft to kind of release it. So that's also in the, in the span too, is I'm going to have that out. So I want to get these done. I want to get ahead of these on the, on the, um, I don't want to be late with it. You know what I mean, Greg, even with the way the off season's gone, I want to get on these and have a good idea of these guys by the time we get to the combine, you know, so we can stream during the combine. So we can really have an understanding of these guys at that time to where I can pair live what's happening with the combine versus what we've got as far as some of our notes on these guys and where they're at. I think it'll be vitally important in the evaluation process of these guys, if we could do that rather than having to wait and do the, a lot of a, the glut of the evaluation after the combine, you know, to where I, I worry about it getting colored if you haven't looked at the prospect prior to, right? Like then the combine maybe, maybe colors you a little bit on it, but please keep breaking them up, man. And I, I, I want to I get into these. So I want to keep pressing and pushing on this as hard as we can because I think it'll just make the, it makes the coverage that much better. Our thoughts, good one. I'll, I'll try to reach out to the, the collection of the collection out there. You know, we'll try to, I'll, 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 if I can, you guys, I'll, I'll do maybe a, what I'll try to maybe set to do is kind of do maybe one a, one a day, you know, and where we go, uh, maybe we'll look as, as we get into the dark of the off season a bit and we get into maybe March is that we do a, you know, two weeks of, um, YouTubers. 
you know, and, and go through each of them and do a little uh, Q&A session with each, do maybe a little bit of a show with each of them. Um, I'm completely open to doing something like that if that's something that you guys would be interested in, uh, in, in hearing. So maybe we'll see if you guys are down to want to have me do that. Uh, Haley says, I've been debating getting a PFF premium sub, but I only talk with football with y'all for the most part. Laughing out loud. It's uh, when you might not have to get as much if you're, you know, I, it's a super big value to me because there's, there's so much good data in it, even beyond just the grades. Like you're seeing with the, the yards given up in coverage, the defensive snap alignments are really fun for me, Haley, especially with some of these college prospects where they'll, where they'll show you a corner and they'll be like, here's how many snaps he had at outside corner. Here's how many snaps he had at the slot. Here's how many snaps he had as a box safety. Um, you'll get all of that across the board. And so it's really, really helpful in, in just filling out your evaluation of the player and, and what you're getting as a player to look at with that. But the average fan probably doesn't need as much on it, you know, especially because you can get the general PFF grades just with a Google search. You know, if you're looking at any player in the NFL right now, you type their name in and type PFF in a Google, you'll get at least this year's grade from that player. You might not get their whole career of what they've done, but at least this year's grade. But for me, it's vital. Uh, Slock win. Cody Barton was generally hot garbage. Why are we talking about him? Haley's point on this, which was a valid one, I think was just that there's a lot more similarities between a Cody Barton than a Jordan Brooks. And then somehow the fan base will view Jordan Brooks as being this guy's a high measure better than Cody as far as a player. When in actuality, there's probably a lot more similarities between their two games than there's not. And it's part of just understanding and making the evaluation of Brooks and his, how the fans should look at him and what we should be looking to sign him as much as anything else. John digs out emails when he was trying to trade up from Holmes and Allen. Like, if you trust me to pick the quarterback of the future, I shall lead us to the promised land. Seriously, Haley. That's why these guys just pull out. Here's my Mahomes evaluation. Do you have anything else to say, Mike? Uh, no. No, John. That'll be, uh, that'll be it. <laughs> David Adams, Ryan Grubb, or Tanner Ingram-Strand? Give me Ryan Grubb. He's called plays. He's exciting, forward-thinking offense. Uh, just feels funner. Feels, feels a little, little more exciting. Noah says, I'm excited for the Behind Enemy Lines episode Tuesday. I am too. Coach Evans knows his stuff. He dives into this All-22 tape. He knows what he's talking about. He's, he's looked at this Ravens defense backwards and forwards. And so when you're talking about a guy that's going to know all the details on this D and, and able to discuss it every which way but loose, uh, Coach Evans is going to be that guy. Perfect, perfect ideal kind of guy to bring on and discuss uh, with this addition of Mike McDonald and what he does bring. But thank you, Noah. I'm looking forward. We got that going on Tuesday, of course. Beat me says Harbaugh said JJ's a first round pick. I bet he only says that because he's just uh, he has Justin Herbert and his contact. <laughs> exactly feed me exactly it's easy for him to call that when they know that there's no no way that nobody's going to hold him to account on that and be like well you called him a first round quarterback but then you did draft him when you had an opportunity to do so right but no i got herbert so i mean we're set but he is a first round guy totally yeah and what would you expect a quarterback a hardball guy to say in that position like no coach ever would be like he's really not that good i mean you want to take him you can he's a winner whatever that's worth but i mean doesn't have really an NFL skill set. Jeffrey says, or they could just be saying our team is better and more physical than you, so we're going to humiliate you by running it down your throat. 
Haley, I like Chad and Seahawks. The PC move excited me about the team more than I've been in maybe six years. You're not alone, Haley. I think there's a big collection of fans that felt that way. And I understand, validly so. This thing has felt a little bit stuck in place for a while at times. You know, I'd hoped it wasn't. I'd hoped that there was other things that were going to allow it to get unstuck. But in retrospect and looking at it, it has been stuck. Yeah. Philip Castle, remember B, Louisville has two O-linemen, uh, two. The tackle's pretty good. I'll be taking a look at them as well. I'm a little behind on my linemen, Philip. That's for sure. But those are my next guys I'm going to start diving into is some of the interior guys in this line, some of the lines out there that look. But uh, I'll take a look at them for sure. Jeffrey Kelly, how do you feel about getting uh, Jerzon Newton in the first round and reunite him with Spoon? I'm okay with it. I've, he's kind of dipped for me a little bit into more of the later first round. I'd like to trade back if we're going to try to get him. I don't think he's a blue chip guy. He's probably a first round grade, but not quite blue chip. But uh, he'd, be, he'd be okay. The tough part for me a little bit, Jeffrey, is a three, he's more of a three tech. And um, you're kind of stocked at three techs right now. If you bring back Leonard Williams, you have Leonard Williams, Draymond Jones, and Mike Morris. So Zerzon Newton becomes kind of the, the fourth DT, or probably overtakes, obviously, Mike Morris. But you sort of get a stack at three tech, and then you're a little bit lean at, at one tech, at the nose tackle. A long live the king. Thank you for the $2 donation. Quarterback is the worst position to reach for. I agree. I agree. It's very important to put those guys in the right place in your evaluation of them and not reach. Because you oftentimes, I think quarterback may be the biggest position that gets reached for need of any of the ones out there. Because it's been determined that it's so valuable that it's worthwhile to then reach for the need. But it's not. You're not, you're not getting what you think you're getting just because you need it. And that does become a driving force. Um, the McCarthy one is wild. I've had quarterbacks come through the last couple of years that have blown my mind that people look at these quarterbacks as top-end prospects. Wilson out of BYU blew my mind. The fact that people looked at Malik Willis and said that's a top-ten quarterback blew my mind. Matt Corral... Old Miss, you guys remember that one. I'm famous on the blog for knocking on that guy. What the hell's going on here? And J.J. McCarthy is that guy this year. He has taken on that crown, and I'm just not going to get it with him, King. You know, But you're right. You're right. It's the worst position to reach for, but I think it's the one that, that's the one that's most reached for when you look at where, where guys are taken. Appreciate you, King. Thank you for that donation. Uh, disgusted Dudes has got to admit, I didn't, uh, I think they had the balls to fire Pete at this point, though they would let him play out. Thought it, they would let him play out his contract. It was gutsy. It wasn't an easy call. Part of why I lot it so much. It's very easy to be lauded for making the call that's the no-brainer. It's a lot harder to make that right call. I know you're going to get some blowback from some and understand that it's still yet the right decision. And, the, the, and there's a lot of reasons that have proven this already to be the right decision, including for like what Haley had mentioned in Beloved, that there's just so many fans that had checked out in this process. You're looking late into the season and your team's in the playoff hunt, but you have Steeler fans taking over your stadium. Nothing but yellow across the board on the bottom levels because Hawk fans are selling their tickets. There's something to be said in that. There's, some, there, there, there's a symbol within that and you're seeing that. And uh, I think that this is going to start to turn the fan base back towards being, as I say, invigorated, revitalized, checked back into the process in a way that they've been checked out of. Daniel says, when will you drop a video breaking down the Mike McDonald rendition of the Raven scheme? That's coming this week. So that's my next project, Daniel. Uh, I've already gotten started on a little bit of the script and putting together some of the, got the thumbnail all done. You guys will love the thumbnail. I've got the, his like face like a big monster looking over the top of, uh, 
of the uh, stadium. But uh, I, um, I'm going to be working on it, hopefully getting that drop Wednesday or Thursday-ish at some point this week. It'll be about, about the timeline on that. But this week is the, I got to get it out. I'm late on that one, Daniel. <laughs> I've been a little, I've been a little behind on that one. Why you mad, bro? Draft Johnny Newton at 16 and trade for Justin Fields. They might just do it, man. You never know. I don't think it's likely to happen, but certainly it's possible. And Newton 16 might be very tantalizing there for our Hawks to go and grab. Third round kickers like the Niners. That definitely worked out. Yeah, that does not been be hilarious too if he ends up missing a kick in the Super Bowl, Haley, that they really need. <laughs> Jeffrey, we should uh, sign Destroying from the UFL next year. He got a leg on him, and he's been pretty freaking accurate. Well, you do have to wait until next year to get out of uh, Meyer's deal. So, got another year that we're on the hook, if not another one beyond that. (laughs) Disgusted Ask, what's my opinion on a successful season B? Growth, development, um, feeling McDonald's vision being instilled, his philosophy coming to bear. Um, the defensively, you can feel the guys, if they're not all on the same page at the start of the year, by the end of the year, the defense is on the same page with the adjustments they're making, with the communication, with their ability to run that defense like it was being run with Baltimore. Um, your utilization offensively across the board, finding a better fashion of maximizing the, the great talents you have on this team like DK Metcalf and Kenneth Walker. You know, feeling a sense of buy-in from the team and the young players that maybe was missing this year. You know, not so many opportunities looking at the field and seeing this guy making a business decision and that guy making a business decision, that there's a buy-in that you're feeling from the team, you know. Essentially, you're looking to, you know, kind of capture, I would say, a spirit of like what we saw from the Lions last year by the end when they were playing the Green Bay Packers on the road, you know, where they weren't playing for anything. They were out of it at that point. They're going into Lambeau. Green Bay's playing for them something. Green Bay's trying to get in the playoffs. And they went in there and they brought that spirit and energy of, you know, we're going to give you our best punch. We know we're building something here. We're trying to become something here. And so it, it's, it's not as a specific a feeling that you can touch upon that you go, it's this and it's that and it's this and you can see it right there clear as a bell. It's something you more feel. So beyond the results of win and losses, it's really those items that I'll be looking for as far as that development to start to lock in and secure itself. And if that's happening, I think, quite frankly, though, if, if we are seeing those things occur, I think you're going to see the wins coming with it because we have so much talent on this team that it's not a matter of like it was with Detroit where they were needing the buy-in and they were needing the talent to be brought in. You know, I think the talent's kind of already here for the most part. It's just you're needing the buy-in part of the process to click in. Garth says the kicker's still booting for the Bay Boys, though. He is Garth. But you know he's going to miss it in the Super Bowl. He's got a 45-yarder that he's going to shank. It's happening. No doubt in my mind. (laughs) all right well we uh crossed four hours here i think it's probably a good time to start putting a bit of a wrap up on this one today um a lot planned up this week for you guys a lot planned up for you guys this week we're gonna get the wednesday show going got a tuesday show set up with behind enemy lines gonna be uh, sitting down with the ravens insider talking about this mike mcdonald talking about this seahawk defense and what we can kind of expect of it from, from from real 
fine-tooth details because he really does get into it on his side of it. Uh, we'll be doing, a, am sure, a live stream breaking show as soon as we do get an offensive coordinator hired this, uh, as it comes down the line. You're probably going to be getting a show from me on that as well. So that might be coming down on Monday. I might be right back at you guys tomorrow as soon as we do hear the news on that. So be on the lookout for that as well. We might have shows going throughout this week. Of course, we got the B&B show as well, where we're going to be looking at a little bit more of the cap situation of the Hawks and how they can free up some cap money. So strap yourself in. We're getting ready to ride hot, hard, fast, and we ain't stopping until we get ourselves to the Super Bowl next year. So lock it in, folks. Put on your game faces. This season's going to be a lot of fun, and this offseason is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. I thank you guys, as always, for an absolute fantastic chat and a, a great discussion. It just went every which way and, and loose. Um, I want to thank all the people that s- subscribed up like DD Goated. You are goaded. You subscribe to the channel. So if you aren't subscribed up, please do get subscribed. We are now on the run. We're now pushing hard. 20,000 subs. That's the goal this year. Can we get up over 20,000? That's what I'm going to be pushing for. So if you aren't subbed up, help us. Please do get to that goal. And if you guys could for me, hit that like button on the way out the door as it does really, really help this channel out. Helps this channel grow. Helps me get seen out there on the YouTube algorithm. That algorithm is a tough one to crack. You know what helps me crack it? You know what's this, the, the key code? You know what it is? The ding, 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 bing. It's you guys hitting that like button. So ding, 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 bing. Hit that like button for me. Get that like done up. Thank you again to Underdog Fantasy for sponsoring this show. Use that code NEST. Get yourself $100 matched to me on your first deposit. Great contest going on throughout the offseason over there. We will be back over on this side in under minimum 48 hours. My last questions to you guys are just this. If you got any questions you'd like me to ask Coach Evans, the Ravens insider I'm going to be sitting down talking to, just post it down in the comment section of this video what you'd like me to ask him. I'm also going to be doing an interview with former Seahawk legend Chad Brown really soon. I got him to agree to sit down again with me and do another interview. I had a great one on the last time that we did. We're going to be sitting down again and talking about this team and talking about maybe a little bit on the past Seahawk teams, a little bit about Coach Carroll, a little bit about Russell Wilson, a little bit about everything across the board. So if you have any questions you'd like me to ask Chad, anything at all, post it down here in the comments section and uh, I will see if I can uh, fit it in there on Chad when we have a chance to interview him here. Maybe at some point this week as I'm trying to lock him in. So... A lot planned with you guys. I am so excited here for the future, not only this channel, but this team and what we got going on and what we got cooking here as a community. Thank you to all of the folks who donated in the chat as well. You guys are tremendously kind as ever on that side of it. It's really very, very, very much appreciated. I hope you guys know that from the bottom of my heart. I love you guys. I thank you guys. I'm excited. I know you're excited. We got the fan base uh, tapped in right now and we're in the depths of the off season and it's a great thing to see. Love it, love it. But I would expect nothing less for my fellow 12s back in under 48 hours. But until that time, I hope I shouldn't have to remind you. I hope I shouldn't have to tell you. I hope I shouldn't have to let you know, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. So you guys tune on in, listen up. I got something to say. Do not you ever now forget. Don't ever do it. Don't you dare do it. I see you in the back. I see you in the back. Come back over here. Come on. Don't you forget. Get off the wall. Stand up. Come on. Engagement. Here we go. Let's go. Don't you forget. Don't you ever forget. No hawks.